So this entire episode is Dom's fault, but we're here to talk Jibberfish, aren't we, Dom? Yep, back again. I fully accept all responsibility for the for the existence of this episode. <laughs> that is because we are going to spend the entire episode talking about Amazon uh, Prime's TV show, The Boys. And uh, this yep. is a show that you introduced me to, and I want to... We started watching it uh, when season two started, because you said, oh, season two is uh, like halfway through or something like that, and we're, we're going to... Maybe if I sit down and talk about it, and it started off as originally being just maybe like a small segment, but uh, I think the second we got through season two, we realised this this needs to be its own thing, so that we can delve yeah. deep into spoilers, we can just talk about what we want, and uh, just go for it, really. Yeah, I think that was probably the best way to do it, because the show itself is it's still quite new. Uh, there's only been two seasons that came out fairly quickly before the world ended, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so probably the best idea to put a big spoiler tag on this because we're going to get in it we're going to talk about both seasons yeah just uh before we do the spoilers though before we drop that spoiler curtain let's uh just say would you recommend the show oh 100 percent uh i'd recommend it for people that are uh, from any kind of person if you're looking for something new to watch the boys is right up your alley it is it's funny it's got some heartfelt moments there it's got a lot of blood a lot of action if you're into comic books, it takes the piss out of all the comic books. Uh, if you don't like DC, it takes the piss out of DC. If you don't like Marvel, it takes the piss out of Marvel. If you've got superhero fatigue and just really want to see superheroes get their heads blown up, it's got all that for you. Yeah, this is the, the one show that I recommend to people, both because they might love or hate superheroes, because this is everything you, you kind of want, everything both sides kind of want out of it. And uh, this podcast is like a superhero fetish, so it's time to meet the superheroes dominatrix. So with that in this, mind, this is the show that is putting the stiletto heel in the asshole of uh, superhero. That got weirdly specific, Dom. And with that in mind, let's get started with the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, as a br- I've got a brief synopsis of the show, I think we'll just start there. Uh, the Boys is Amazon yep. Studios' take on a comic book by the same name, executive produced by Eric Kripke of uh, Supernatural fame and Seth Rogen. There's also a few other people, but those are the kind of two names people might recognise. I, I sort of kind of fact-check you there, but I thought Eric Kripke's the director, showrunner. Isn't Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg the executive producer? I think producer? Kripke has an executive producer role as well. He, But he is the showrunner. He is also just kind of overseeing it. Uh, as far as episode to episode, but I think he also gets a credit as executive producer. All right, cool, cool. Starring Carl oh, Urban yeah. as Billy Butcher, a man hellbent on taking down the world's version of corporate superheroes, aka Soups, after an often alluded to betrayal before the show's storyline. Uh, he's joined by Jack Quaid, Huey Campbell, um, after Huey's girlfriend is annihilated by his, uh, this world's version of The Flash, aka A Train. And uh, without going any further, uh, how do you feel about the show in general, Dom, other than just giving it the, the broad recommendation? How do you feel? Uh, again, it's got one of those... The Amazon superhero shows, because I'm, I'm counting Preacher as a superhero show, because it's a comic book as well, have this really, really high production value. It, it looks like every episode could be a movie. Mm-hmm. It, it's shot that well. Uh, the cast is, is pretty good, though. Some of the some of the cast, you're just thinking you're there for half the scene. Your 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 character doesn't really do much, but I guarantee that same character 
who's fairly light in one episode is heavy as all hell in the next episode. Every every character kind of gets their own little shining moment. Yeah. Um, the the writing is again top notch. Which uh, Eric Kripke, he basically just kept revitalizing Supernatural year after year because after season five of Supernatural, it wasn't worth watching. From but from what I've been told, the seasons that he directly wrote after season five were pretty good. It, it was actually worth a watch. So it's got the right people behind it, uh, and I think where the show shines the most is the characters because there's a little bit of a little bit of something for everybody there. If you want the cocky, arrogant guy that thinks no one can beat him, you've got A Train. If you've got the over the top yet very silent man child, you've got Black Noir. Yeah. Uh, then you've got the insert character, which is meant to be uh, what the fuck's his name, Huey Campbell. But Huey Campbell, as we've both discussed through text messages and through other Discord calls, Huey Campbell kind of sucks. <laughs> he is a total bitch. Um, I also want to just bring up, there, there is also a spin-off kind of sideshow, uh, kind of similar to like The Walking Dead had an after, like Talking Dead. The Talking Dead. Yeah, uh, this yeah, show also... Talking Dead, Talking Dead, there was a whole shit ton of them, all hosted by, uh, what the fuck's his name? The guy that created The Nerdist. Can't remember his name. Uh, Chris. No, can't remember. Chris something. Chris Hardwick. Yeah. Um, Hardwick. Yeah. So this uh, this version of this show's uh, after show is hosted by Aisha Tyler, which is quite nice. Yep. Um, it's not great though. I, I do feel like it's limited by like all the shows made pre-COVID, which means that it's you know normal television. But then you go from such great uh, intimate character-driven scenes into people clearly like Skype calling each other while they're in the same room. You lose a lot of the energy that's uh, that the cast generates, which is a shame because all these people seem to have a great time making the show. Um, talk about like the on stage uh, or on uh, on set atmosphere being great the whole time, and then you have the one chance you can see them as themselves fucking around and annoying each other, and it's all done through these weird Skype calls. It doesn't quite work. Yeah, I've only ever seen clips here and there, but it, it does seem the after show doesn't really work because you've got like you said there's the skype call aspect of it and there's always that that 10 20 seconds of dead air when it's just and what do you think about this then it's the the blank face yeah it was okay and it's a bit weird there's some teething problems there but i can imagine the show will improve dramatically as you know podcasts and things do when the, the hosts are recording in separate rooms across the like across the country yeah you... when they're actually in the building together it'll get better yeah, you get into the swing of it eventually. Don't worry, kid, you'll get there. Um, I, I, I do think that the, uh, the the talk show will get better afterwards, but it's uh, it, if, if you see it, I mean, if you've got something better to do, and by better I mean anything, you can give it a miss. Um, like, if you want to clean your room instead of watching the show, go for it, or want to have it in the background, go for it. But uh, it's nothing to really uh, tune in for, because, as I say, everything's filmed under COVID conditions, which means everyone's sitting in a separate room, so you miss out on a lot of the chemistry. But, uh, yeah, I would say that where you're dead on the money, this is a great character-driven show, and despite being about superheroes, there was so little uh, superhero action going on. It's mostly about the people, uh, kind of either the people behind the mask or the people uh, caught in the wake of superheroes. And mm. uh, I, I'm gonna say we're we're gonna say how much we love these characters, but at the same time, I want to talk absolute shit about them because I hate. Most of the characters in the show, every character in the show is a bad person, but the actors portraying them do a fantastic job. Uh, this is like one of those shows where you really love to hate them, like Charles Dance in Game of Thrones. 
Charles Dance is a fantastic actor, and that's why you like get really hyped up when he's getting the shit kicked out of him or when he dies during Game of Thrones, because he's so convincing as an absolute monster that you're kind of glad that he's out of the way. Yeah, just going back to the, the, the superhero action part, I think, I can't remember if it was an interview with Eric Kripke that I watched, or it was something to do with the boys and someone was talking about it. I think the show realises that superheroes fighting, in a realistic sense, can't really be fun, because one of them can, you know, tear steel apart with their bare hands, one of them can melt steel with their eyes. Seeing them fight is going to be boring, so mm. they they, re- they realise that yeah, Superman, if he was real, would just blast some, or cut someone in half with laser vision, or if Wonder Woman was real, she would just punch someone out of existence. Yeah. So yeah. they just make it all the superhero uh, powers when they're used are just quick, short scenes. Like with A Train, obviously he's a speedster, but you wouldn't really see him. Come, you wouldn't really see him fighting. His fights wouldn't last long because you just run through people or punch their heads off while traveling at Mark Two. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of scenes where you see the consequences of a superhero. Uh, maybe not even directly interacting with, but just accidentally coming into contact during a fight with a person. Uh, there's a scene later on where someone uh, gets into a fight with another super villain or a super terrorist and uses laser beam eyes and annihilates not only the villain, but someone else standing in the background. And you're like, oh yeah, I suppose that laser doesn't really stop if it yeah. goes all the way through that guy's chest. Physics does ha- kind of have to keep applying and ends up applying to some guy's chest. So it does kind of... It- it's very good at using those rules and pointing out these little kind of boxes or these little issues that you would have in stories like this. And it's uh, it's interesting. I do like that there's yeah. always that aspect of, um, and as you say, like they realise that the superhero fights would be boring. And if you want a superhero fight, there are these things called Marvel and DC movies. You can go and get your stuff there. You can go get your jollies and the action fights there. But then you can come back to this show to try and find out what's going on with uh, the people behind the mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, maybe. although I, I do I do disagree with you slightly on the the not liking all the characters thing. I think everybody, with some fairly big exception, has a slight redeeming character to them. I think there's maybe about three or four characters that I could just you know get rid of. I I looked at the cast because uh, somebody was asking me what I thought of the characters, and I'm like, actually, with the exception of uh, maybe Mother's Milk, um, Queen Maeve is quite forgivable. She's she's human. In that mm. sense, uh, Starlight is supposed to be a very, um, very generously accepted character, and then Black Noir is obviously the the, ber- the perfect human being, um, so he can't be really touched. But beyond that, everyone else can just suck it. I don't, I don't like any of them. Um, as you probably should, suppose you should really go through the roster of yeah. uh, characters. I mentioned Huey, Huey Campbell's uh, the boyfriend of a girl who gets murdered. He gets dragged into. Uh, Billy Butcher's world. Uh, Billy Butcher is a former SAS uh, CIA operative who has yeah. made it his life's mission to take down the Seven, who are a parody of the Justice League from DC comic books. Where you have uh, Homelander, where he is basically super. I wouldn't even go so far as to say that he was to take down the Seven. I, I always, just from watching the show, he just wants to. I mean, his overall thing is just kill soups because he doesn't like them, but mm. he is laser focused, like pinpoint focused on killing Homelander. Yeah, he, he almost he'll kill other ships to get rid of them, but his main focus is the big guy, the I, red cape. I, I think he he would go for Homelander over anything else. Like if there's one thing he wants off that list, Homelander's number one. But I do think yeah. he wants. I think he now has seen behind the curtain and makes a point of taking down all the all the all the uh, the members of the seven. Hmm. Um, yeah. But you have Homelander, which is Superman when he finally wears the American flag as a cape. 
Uh, Queen yep. Maeve, uh, Wonder Woman with a drinking slash recreational drugs problem, uh, compensating for her jaded worldview. Mm-hmm. A Train, who is the Flash, uh, but he knows that there's always a faster athlete chasing his heels. Um, Black Noir, which is a series stand-in for Batman, but the ninja and brutality dials are cranked all the way to eleven. Yeah. Translucent is the Invisible Man, who uses his power the exact same way any twelve-year-old boy would. Uh, the recently departed Lamplighter, who is a mysterious pyrotechnical superhero that we meet in season two, but is kind of a mystery, mysterious figure in season one. And the Deep, which is a slightly dumbed-down version of Aquaman dealing with the crippling depression of being Aquaman. And then you have. I like that. That's the aspect of the of the character that they focus in on, like <laughs> so the fact good. that his ability, his, his superhero powers. Everyone else gets these grandiose powers. Stormfront can control lightning. Yeah. Queen Maeve is the strongest woman alive. He can talk to fish and swim really fast. <laughs> <laughs> you would be depressed if that was your superpower. Uh, I also want to bring up uh, there is Starlight, who is a um, a young juvenile. Uh, I want to say juvenile. She's like twenty or something when the show starts. But she is she's a small town girl um, brought in to replace Lamplighter after he gets removed from the Seven, and uh, she is the small town girl who just wants to live those big city dreams. Only to find out that the uh, company she's going to work for could give a flying fuck about her. Uh, she's a commodity to be used and sold to the public. She is then uh, forced to give a blowjob to the deep to get into the seven or to really get into the seven in air quotes or whatever it is that he said. Um, mm. And then she's told by Queen Maeve to suck it up on her first day. Uh, you know, yeah. like, oh boo hoo. You get, get used the- to it, kid. This is the bricks. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the reason why I say like Queen Maeve... It, she was on the on the list of like she was kind of on my shit list for a bit of the show because she was like she she basically saw a young woman be like dealing with a sexual assault and she's like oh, buck it up kid like <laughs> whoa yeah um, that's actually the tame version of that interaction because I've got a bit to talk about the differences between the comic and the the TV show so we can get into that a bit later but yeah yeah the the TV show has the tame version of that interaction I think the TV show has to tame down most of the interactions because there's a few. Um, there's a there's the the initial interaction between Starlight and the Deep, which goes from uh, like a rape to a, uh, a, a kind of co- co- I don't really know what the word is, um, like to just kind of convince someone to give you a blowjob, um, and then it go which yeah it's sexual assault but it's not quite the same as what we're going to talk about in the comic books, and then there's a few other scenes that again like it goes from ambiguously more or ambiguously moral sex to like straight up rape in the comic books because the comic books were written with a bit more of an edge to them and i think they realized amazon realized they to tame it down for television yeah and uh, i'd say the show focuses on, on like the kind of real version of these characters we're going to talk a little bit season one and then season two we also get uh stormfront who is a whole thing we will deal with when we start talking about season two. Oh yeah she is uh... a <laughs> i mean it... she could be a, an episode by herself there's a lot to unpack in that about that it was actually watching scenes of Stormfront and being having parts of the character revealed uh, to me as a viewer that I was like, oh, she this show needs to be talked about by itself. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's the, the, the key part of the show is seeing the heroic faces of the heroes that the public gets presented and then seeing the kind of behind-the-scenes versions of the characters. And a lot of the first season is dealing with the uh, the real versions of those characters. Yeah, it's it focuses more on because when you read Superman and you read Batman comics, it's always about this heightened version of them. But let's discuss what they would really be like. Do you think Superman would be so grounded after saving the universe <laughs> for the ninth time? I mean, no, yeah. he's going to get a fucking big head. He's going to demand that everyone love him. That Kansas uh, education can only do you so much. 
yeah. I, I feel like the, the other characters I might want to talk about is um, Edgar, or Mr. Edgar. Um, he is the head of Vought, yeah. which is the Stan company. Edgar. Yeah. Vought is a weird one because it's kind of the... Vought's a company that is a... Kind of seems like a combination of a, like, bioengineering company and then, uh, like, Disney is the only real kind of thing I could imagine being uh, so good at PR because they are uh, capable, they are responsible for uh, the superheroes management and then edu- or management and PR but also uh, you'll learn later on that they are actually the ones creating the superheroes because they have an entire uh, bio-research division yes. designing superheroes from the ground up um, who else do we have? I wanted to I keep forgetting her name um, but the the manager for the the seven for season one, uh, um, Madeline Stillwell. Yeah, Stillwell. She's uh, she's probably very definitely say she's one of the key characters for season one. Uh, doesn't exactly stick around for season two, but she's uh, such a key part of season one's uh, plot that it's it's important to mention her and uh, the doppelganger as well. Oh yeah, Let, let's not talk about that guy. That <laughs> scenes with that guy freaked me the fuck out. <laughs> Uh, it's uh, interesting, gentlemen. Does exactly what you think a doppelganger would, but imagine that being used by a moral, uh, morally lacking uh, manager to try and gain leverage on senators in the United States Senate. So, yeah, let's uh, let's go with that, shall we? <laughs> so, I other than that, um, beyond that, I just have a, a a list of season one's plot points. So, is there anything else you want to talk about before we just start jumping into the plot of season one? Uh, no, not really. Like I said, uh, I've got a, a, a bit to talk about the differences between the comic and the TV show. But uh, yeah, all you need to really know in season one is season one is where it's the scale is set reasonably in season one. In season two, they ramp it way the hell up. So I'll pass it over to you to talk about what happens in season one. So most of season one is dealt with uh, introducing Huey and Butcher together. I think it's like the first episode is a lot of that. And uh, introducing the kind of power difference between a human and a superhero. And that also includes larger parts of the later, or like the next few episodes involve Translucent, who has been stalking Huey and Butcher, trying to figure out who they are, why they are so interested in infiltrating what. And uh, them actually capturing Translucent by attacking him with an electrical wire and nearly shoving it up his asshole. Which might have been one of the funniest ways I've ever seen a superhero taken down. Uh, in the in the electrical goods store, and then it then devolves into uh, Butcher showing us around a few of his uh, mates, including Frenchie, and uh, trying to get the trying to find a way to kill someone with effectively diamond hard skin. So it's uh, it's a lot of inventive scenes of them trying to kill someone who's basically indestructible, and uh, with Translucent being invisible, it involves a lot of yelling at an empty cage, which I just find hilarious. I can't imagine it was easy to act through that. Uh, what do we have? Yeah. I'm glad I'm not the only person that found that funny because there's a point where Butcher's saying, like, uh, Butcher, no, it's Frenchie's talking to Translucent in the cage. And I'm just thinking he's shouting at an empty cage like, with a guy standing <laughs> over him doing his lines, pretending to be in that cage. Makes it an easy thing to film, though. Um, we have the, right. in- the introduction of Starlight. Um, into the seven, and then Huey and Starlight f- kind of find each other in a on a park bench and start talking, and end up kind of getting each other's numbers, getting to know each other, and dating. Uh, Starlight deals with her Christian roots, um, and then explains to the world that she was actually sexually assaulted by a member of the seven, which is then outed as the deep. 
Um, I did find the, the atheist episode or the kind of Christian episode to be quite interesting. A bit preachy at times. I get a bit kind of miffed off at preachy atheists as much as I get miffed off at preachy Christians. So it was an interesting episode, especially uh, knowing a little bit about the, the Christian South where uh, they have these big events that are obviously as big as like normal music festivals over here, but all dedicated yeah. to the worship and glory of Christ. Uh, who do we have? Uh, we have the uh, one thing I found interesting is actually after that episode, uh, the deep apologized to Starlight in a TV broadcast, but I don't think we ever see him apologize in person. Um, and then he is thrown out of the seven to become the savior of Sandusky, a small town in Ohio yeah. that no one gives a fuck about, <laughs> including the deep. Yeah, uh, he spends <laughs> most of the most of the end of season one trying to get out of there, and then that's when uh, things with the dolphin happen. <laughs> Uh, we have uh, the boys finding out that the the superhero uh, speedster A-Train is using a superhero version of steroids called Compound V which he gets from a former top tier hero that he's dating called Popclaw Um, A-Train uses the Compound V to demolish another superhero speedster called Shockwave which I've misspelled Shockwave in a foot race Uh, but he then shows that he's having heart based complications after long term use of the drug which I actually kind of appreciated because one part of uh, A-Train's story that never really gets enough praise is that A-Train is an athlete who knows the next generation of athletes are going to kick his ass and he knows he's starting to fall apart. And uh, the use of Compound V, which is a clear stand-in for steroids, and the fact that it leads to heart-based complications when you hear about all the... I I have like a a number of big uh, people that I, I quite enjoy uh, people like uh, Ronnie Coleman and then uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, I, we joke about Rich Piano a lot on the show, but uh, I actually kind of like his uh, his honest approach to his steroid use. And each one of these guys is going to go down with a heart issue at some point. So having it be like them say, this guy is taking steroids, this guy is basically begging for a heart attack, was uh, a good, it's a good uh, point of detail on the show that I like to kind of bring light to. Yeah, and as a, I'm actually one of my uh, pieces of coursework on uh, in, in university right now is talking about doping. So it, <laughs> it actually kind of it, it's tying my, you know, watching television at my leisure and my <laughs> studies quite nicely. I just need to not write a train in the in, in the TV series. The boys gets some heart related issue from from use of superhero steroids and that is an example of real life steroid abuse. <laughs> I was going to say I wonder if they uh, they would ever do kind of drug testing for Compound V, but then I realised that they made those kids with Compound V, so <laughs> probably not yeah. going to end well, and uh, they wouldn't want to admit to knowing how to test or what to look for when it comes to Compound V. Um, the super, or A-Train actually kills Popclaw by faking an overdose. They hint that Popclaw has like serious drug issues, um, mostly related to heroin, and uh, shot, or, um, A-Train actually runs around her apartment, grabs like seven heroin needles, and shoves them all into her at the same time. And I think this was probably the moment I knew that everyone in the Seven was an absolute fucking monster. Don't know what it was, but uh, there was just something about the fact that he was going to kill his lover and look her in the eyes and say, I'm sorry, as he did it. Something about that really fucked me up about the show, but it was also the point I'm like, I'm going to watch the show to the end. Um, the boys meet an experimental... Yeah, it definitely showed that Atrian was wanting to do whatever the hell he could to try and keep his position, and it showed them that there was that arrogance in there because you imagine if that was reversed and it was the flash someone was about to say i'm gonna you know i'm gonna i'm gonna expose you or whatever the hell it is and the flash says no his the response in the comic books 
if it was the flash would be i'm going to reset time <laughs> no it shows you a realistic example of what someone would do it's like no i'm going to use my speed to you know inject you with i'm going to kill you before you even realize it yeah and the the, the moment of uh, realization for her just the look of utter betrayal on her face was amazing um Next one was uh, the boys meeting an experimental soup called The Female uh, in a makeshift, makeshift jail cell uh, in a drug lab that makes and distributes uh, Compound V. Uh, the, the female is later referred to as uh, Kimihito uh, once they actually find out what her name is. Kimiko, isn't it? I it was Kimihito. Shit. <laughs> I thought it was ki- uh, I've, I've always got a Kimiko. Yep, it is Kimiko. Actually, we just did a little bit of Googling and then trying not to look at her Instagram page, but it is uh, Kimiko, not Kimihito. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, the female is then uh, gutted by Black Noir in a fight to save Frenchie, um, only coming back to save his life using her regenerative powers when we realise just how powerful she is. Uh, Frenchie yeah. uh, befriended her for a while when she was chained up in a, a basement that the uh, the boys were using as a base. Um, Homelander and Queen Maeve attempt to save a plane full of people from a terrorist attack, but fail as Homelander melts the plane's controls and leaves people to die. The plan was to use this as a PR stunt to get soups into the military, and uh, Vought uses the crash and death of every passenger on board as a PR moment anyway. Uh, Homelander yeah, begins shooting. That whole scene was fucked up from the beginning. That scene's getting a segment on its own. Let's just save the kids. Let's just save the kids. And it's like, no, fuck it. They'll tell everybody else. Get rid of them. <laughs> Which, let, let them crash. In an absolute fucking monster. Like, in a monstrous line of thinking, you're like, he's got a point. Like, uh, if those yeah. kids stand up in front of America and say, Homelander saved us, but then he let my mummy die. He, everyone in that room is going to go, motherfucker, <laughs> that Excuse monster. Me? Um, and I do like that they're going through the, the list of like what we can do. And um, like he's, <laughs> they're like, just just lift the plane. You're like, we'll fly the plane down to the ground. He's like, I, I can't do that. Like, I'm not that strong. Like, I just, the physics doesn't work and we're going to get smooshed by a plane on the runway. We're going to fucking die. I'm not doing it for these people. Fuck these people. Let's just go. Um, it's uh, it's an interesting scene. Like it's, it's one of these things where the show has a very dark sense of humor, or has a dark way of looking at every uh issue the boys could or the the soups could encounter, and running it through in a way that you're like, shit, that's so like it's so wrong, but you're kind of right, and I get where you're going with it, and you have to kind yeah. of agree with the logic in a way. Yeah, in a very very fucked up way, you you do agree with it. Just. <laughs> You bastard, why am I agreeing with multiple kids <laughs> of murder? In a way that makes you drink till two in the morning, you're like, yep. <laughs> yep. I, know, I know where you're going with this one. And it actually, when we talked about Queen Maeve having quite a jaded worldview, I mean, all, all we're seeing is the bot, like, it's it's quite heavily implied that the seven that are the original members have been around for a couple of years, maybe like a decade or more. And mm-hmm. could you imagine a decade of trying to deal with just this weird, um, ultra-focused view that Homelander has? Where he's like, I can only do so much, and if people have to get hurt or people die or something like that, so be it. And if you were if you were a good person, you set out to make the world a better place. Like I think Queen Maeve was when she started her career. I think you would end up with uh, a really jaded, painful worldview, and it explains yeah. why she's as fucked up as she is. Uh, Homelander begins to unravel and uh, uses superpowers and general uh, the general kind of influence he has within Vought to spy on and intimidate other members of the Seven as the boys try and find evidence of Compound V to expose Vought, including sneaking into a hospital where babies are given Compound V to create superheroes. 
Yeah, I laughed far too hard at the scene where Butcher picks up the baby and just makes him laser everything in front of him. <laughs> the laser that baby scene shouldn't have been funny, but it was fucking hysterical. That laser baby is such a goddamn like amazingly funny like meme that you could just take a screenshot of that and put it up and be like, "Laser baby says no," and then just have him like blasting the eye, eye beams at people. But it is so Apparently, great. In the press for season two, they were sending out uh, dolls. Like little baby dolls <laughs> with blue light up eyes and calling it Laser Baby by Vought. <laughs> the uh the, the scene or the set for uh the, the boys talk show actually has a laser baby in the background and uh, it lights up and when it blasts its lasers that's it's like the change of a segment or something like that. And like that is the weirdest, dumbest, funniest meme I've seen in a long way. <laughs> they put so much effort into it, but the um the infiltration scene actually reveals a lot. Uh, it's, it's funny because the meme of Laser Baby, but at the same time, they point at the fact that uh, Vault has been using a version of Compound V to give children superhero uh, abilities, and it just gravitates into the DNA. It, it attacks something in there, and it influences their like cellular design to become superheroes, and give it changes them from birth, and uh, mm. it changes the narrative of this uh, of Soups and the Seven who. Like the the Christian episode that we talked about earlier, that has a heavy emphasis on Christians look at the the seven and soups by and large, and see God given protectors, people with the uh, people just designed by fate to be the right people for, at the right time, and uh, learning that they have all been uh, made from birth by the company that employs half of them, kind of fucks with them in a big way. Actually, when the news of uh, the like superhero creation or superhero uh, creation myth being dismantled breaks, it goes out on live national television, leading to the silent and stoic black noir with a fucking amazing shot of him, like crouched down in a fetal position against the wall in one of the vault hallways, looking at his phone, seeing the news that he was not destined from birth to be great, but he was in fact made in the laboratory. Uh, crying next to a statue of himself. That might have been the most I laughed during the entire series. And again, it's one of the things I really shouldn't have laughed at that because it's quite an obviously emotional scene. But at the same time, the silent death machine just weeping like a child, uh, realising yeah. his entire life is a lie, was hysterical to me. Yeah, I, I did find that unintentionally funny. There's a few moments with uh, with Black Noir that, just, that were funnier than they're meant to be. Like the bit <laughs> where, or the, I think it was a couple of episodes earlier, maybe, season, uh, maybe episode two, season one, where uh, the guy's sitting playing the piano and Black Noir just looks at him until he moves and starts playing the piano as well. <laughs> and he plays it better than him as well. Yeah. That's probably my favorite bit. It's like, oh, Black Noir, also a classically trained pianist on a level you yeah, can also comprehend. also when it comes to music. <laughs> I, I like that, like, that's his thing. Like, in his spare time, he's like, I stab people, I gut people with a samurai sword, I uh, throw ninja stars, and I play piano. <laughs> yeah. After he sharpened his knives, he puts them all away in his suit and just cracks his knuckles and plays the piano Good. Good. I want to see Black Noir learning on a Casio keyboard, I need that for behind the scenes footage <laughs> he opens up the little book and he's sitting counting out the different <laughs> notes Just Black Noir, like one finger tapping, bah bah, black sheep have you any wool <laughs> <laughs> please let there be in season 3 a scene of Black Noir just in chopsticks <laughs> <laughs> but uh, again, like this is the, this is the type of show we're watching, is it you have a very fucked up perspective on superheroes and you need to kind of laugh your way through it um, because the, the comedy in this is very well done. It is very dark humour normally 
or is very absurd, uh, but it, it definitely lands. And even when it's not supposed to, it lands. Or maybe we're just bad people. Um, the the next step of the, the plan is revealed that we'll say is Homelander starting to um, flex his power within Vought. He starts to also crave more uh, creative freedom and power within the company because he thinks that he is uh, the face of Vought and that Vought itself should be re- remolded to promote him in a way. It already mm. does. But he wants more, and yeah, he uh, wants to be the face and the face of Vault. Yes, even more so than he is. Um, to that end, he starts having an affair with his manager Madeline, um, which was is creepy as all hell, um, and leads to various scenes with breast milk, um, and yeah. also the building envy and rage that he has for uh, her child, which comes up a bit later. But it turns out that Homelander's also been making a threat. He's basically been writing his own sequel. Uh, because he has been planting superhero terrorists around the world, uh, hoping to make supervillains, which is hilarious because he wants to call them supervillains, so you can have superheroes and villains facing off. And the company that he works for is like, no, we think super terrorists has a better ring to it. <laughs> um, which actually makes sense. I mean, I don't know when this was written, but uh, I can imagine that it was probably written around 2005 when people were starting to get sick of Iraq and Afghanistan wars. So this uh, makes a lot of a lot of sense that we would term it as a super terrorist. Um, it does fit with the time, um, but he has been making superpowered terrorists so that Vought can claim the world needs a superpowered military force. A large part of season one that has been trying to get superhero uh, like units established within the military, um, to the point where they actually allow Homelander to go out and deal with the superpowered terrorists that he creates uh, by having him fly in to assist a team of Navy SEALs. After a first team of Navy SEALs that goes into a compound, meets a super terrorist whose power seems to be that he can turn himself into a nuke. I don't know if that was what you read from that one. Like, yeah, I just got that he could. He had. He did this big Superman solar flare thing. Yeah, he did. Vegeta's I, I genuinely Final expected Flash. him to do. I genuinely expected it to be a one and done. Although he came back charred and burnt, just had to regenerate for a couple of hours or something. Mm. He walked back at that shiny. <laughs> yeah. Just shiny and ripped. Good to go. <laughs> um so yeah, the the last couple scenes are um mostly related to um the the guys from the boys trying to explore trying to reveal to the world that Vought uses compound V and uh almost being stopped by A Train, who actually ends up having a heart attack. And yeah. uh is only saved by Huey even though he's been told, if he survives, he's coming to fucking kill you. He has a beef with yeah. you. He will kill you if you, if you do save his life. And he's like, yeah, I know, i got to do it anyway. Um, in the meantime, uh, Billy Butcher has been hunting down Madeline and actually uh, breaks into her home, which apparently should be damn near impossible, um, and uses uh, tapes her to a, a chair with like 20 blocks of C4 tied to her, uh, just in time to find Homelander coming in as well which is perfect because he's been trying to kill Homelander all day, all the way through the season. And just when he's, <laughs> just when Billy Butcher thinks he has the upper hand holding uh, Homelander's lover and manager uh, hostage, uh, Homelander kills her anyway by l- melting <laughs> her face with uh, laser eyes. <laughs> yeah, straight through the eye holes. Absolutely fucking gruesome death. Yeah, it was pretty pretty savage. <laughs> and, uh, but my initial thought was, right, the explosion happens because the aftermath is she gets uh, still well, gets her eyes burnt out, gets her, her brain essentially turned into fried bacon. Yeah. 
And then Butcher just goes, oh, well, what a shame, and blows everybody up anyway, blows up the building. Yeah, it was then, kind of like, was... if it's as if uh, Billy Butcher and uh, Homelander were playing poker, and then Homelander flips the table. So then Billy Butcher goes, oh, well then, and flips the table back at him in a weird way. <laughs> like, yeah. fuck you? No, fuck you. <laughs> I, will, I will not. It's basically someone who's a last word asshole. Like, oh, you think you're getting the final word on this? Fuck it, blow everything up. So, season one. That's that is basically my my plot summary of season one. Uh, there was a lot more in there. I've left a lot out because I want people to go through and see this and experience it for themselves, and also for yeah. the sake of time because that has taken like twenty minutes just to read that. Yeah, just to get through what happens in season one because there's a lot there. Each episode is an hour. Yes, and five minutes, minutes to an hour. Eight and episodes. They perfect. make most of it. Yeah. yeah. Each episode eight hours is... of a show condensed into one. Eight hours of very dense, well-written character development and character interactions between uh, like a cast of maybe, what, 14 f- characters? And honestly, like that, yeah. no one feels out of place. Everyone feels well-balanced. We talked a lot about the fact that if someone's quiet in one episode, the next episode they get their kind of time back in a way. Mm-hmm. I'd say other than maybe Mother's Milk, uh, everyone's quite well-developed because he's just, he's, he's the veteran. Uh, he's one of... Uh, Billy Butcher's uh, mates and other than that he is a family that's his character and it's a shame because he's he's a good character like he's his actor's great um, like he's very good at being the kind of the voice of calm like he's the dad um, he's the grown up in the room for most situations but I wish he kind of had a bit more time to be someone yeah, other he's, than he's the dad he's the voice of reason uh, yeah and apparently there's one like bit of trivia that pops up because obviously this being on Amazon if you watch it on their uh, viewer there's a ton of trivia for this and apparently he and uh, the girl that plays Kimiko they were apparently both foodies, so we'd sit and talk non-stop about food constantly to the point where everyone else is like, will you shut up? <laughs> You're making me hungry. I've been filming this scene for four hours now. Yeah. Some of the behind-the-scenes stuff is fucking fantastic, though. Like, uh, they were doing, I was watching a, watching an interview with them all, and they said it was one of those, like, who's most likely to show up late to set? And it was, oh, it's the guy that plays Homelander, Anthony Starr. Mm. And the one, it was, who's the most likely to be found sleeping on the set? And it's like, oh, the guy that plays a... Uh, Black Noir, Nathan Mitchell, he will literally do his scene and just fall asleep right where he was standing. <laughs> just find a spot and go to sleep there. Well, we, we talked a lot about how interested we were in the show uh, for season one. I just never followed through on it until you said, no, seriously, season two is coming. Watch season one. Yeah, watch season one. It it was something It was something that I never watched until, again, the world ended and we're all looking for shit to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, my older brother watched it and then he bought the comics and then that's when I knew it was a good show that I should watch. Yeah, when someone's uh, willing to put cash down after seeing, after getting so much free entertainment, you know you're on yeah. something. Yeah, and it's definitely well worth the prime, subscri- prime subscription, even if it's late most other times. Just for the boys, it's, it's definitely worth picking up. Yeah. Um, I, I talked about like the behind-the-scenes stuff. There was a lot of... like Season 1 was this kind of weird thing that was going to be a parody of superheroes, and it would be uh, just taking the piss out of everything, people got interested in that, and I remember seeing it for the first time on uh, Philly D show, where it was the season one trailer of uh, basically Queen Maeve going backwards through an armoured car uh, when they run, basically try and run her over, and she just says no, and <laughs> takes the hit. <laughs> um, I remember that being like the trailer for season one, and then never really followed up on it, and uh, then when it came to season two, the advertising push was like showing off the cast of characters, and they say doing these like uh, trivia videos with different YouTube channels. And uh, one thing I found actually on Amazon Prime's YouTube page was a bunch of fake Vought commercials being made as advertisements for season two. 
and that was what I found really interesting was that you'd have uh, uh, Starlight introducing a face screen or the deep actually trying to get you to go to deep sea world or whatever um, because that's part of the show and there's actually a line in season one when I think it's Starlight's talking to Huey and she goes I don't remember the last time I actually saved someone and then you realise yeah you haven't seen anyone actually do any real superhero work in yeah. a long time and it's mostly just been them being told to go to sets, do commercials, do talk shows. Do movies. Yeah. And uh, I think a large... Have it, you... On you go. Uh, so have, you, have you seen the... Uh, what, it's, it's on the YouTube page. I'll, I'll link it to you later on if you haven't seen it. But there was a, a an advert that they did and it was the deep advertising Japanese soy sauce. Yes, I have. It's the one with him uh, like thanking uh, a squid before he, like, yeah. rips its arms off and dips it in soy sauce. Absolutely yeah. fucking hysterical. <laughs> yeah. This show and the writers and the team behind making it must have just went to Amazon and said, you stand back, let us do it, we will make this show yeah, a we viral got... sensation. Yo? Yeah, we're good. Okay. <laughs> just, I, it went quiet there. Yeah, uh, just get a drink of water. Uh, Getting hydrated. Ooh, la da <laughs> but this this shows producers and like people behind the scenes know what they're doing with the characters and it, it pays off even when they're just being told hey can you make like a 30 second youtube video as like yeah. seasonal promotion because they don't just they don't just there's occasional videos where they um they cut into the the footage for the the show um i'd say season two uh has the biggest cock tease in the trailer i've ever fucking seen um i don't think actually it might have been like an, an episode teaser that they put out because the show went uh like the initial first three episodes all dropped one after the other or all dropped in the same day and then the remaining five were dished out uh one per week on a thursday yeah friday uh, or oh, friday um yeah i i think they had one of the biggest cock teases of all time which turned out to be a false uh or like a red herring but other than that the show's advertising and uh just be knowing that it's being critical of advertising culture using superheroes and doing the same thing at the same time has been pretty damn, uh, pretty damn stellar ah yeah without a doubt and they also take uh, take the piss out of sort of superhero movies as well more so in two season two than season one mm-hmm. and that's just a deliberate dig at not only dc how they will rewrite and recast on the fly <laughs> if they need to yeah but quite a dig at the mcu because that is the biggest feather on their cap yeah, love the fact that they have a thriving movie universe and they're tying everybody together. Yeah, for the big, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Big ensemble movie. Yeah, and they have a, a very good. Um, what did say? It was the there was a dig. No, I think that was a season two dig that they took. I forgot about that. Um, but there was a. I think it was a very good dig at uh, the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe uh, during season two that paid off in the long run. Uh, not only as a joke, but as an action scene. But we'll talk about that for season two. Yeah. Uh, I think I'll bring up season one, though. Uh, no, just watch it. Fucking watch it. It is eight hours of pretty good content. You will be satisfied coming through it. Like I said, uh, if you if you have a favourite character, which would be kind of weird, because I'd never really, <laughs> for the first season. Second season, there were some characters that kind of grew on me, but... If you if your favorite character is Homelander, then I'm going to ask you to stop listening to the podcast because you're not the kind of person I want interacting with something that I'm putting out. You clearly <laughs> got a couple of screws loose. If Homelander is your favorite character, yeah, I think if you, I think the default favorite character is Starlight. 
I think that's for everyone. I think uh, after that, I go down to Queen Maeve. Um, but all of my favourite characters are characters I'm sympathetic towards, even to the point of saying I prefer uh, Butcher over Huey because I have sympathy for what uh, Butcher has gone through. Mm. And I, think, I think that's the only thing that you can really give these characters as kind of leeway is say most of them have been through some shit. And yeah. you can maybe not understand, but you can see where the characters are coming from, uh, which is interesting character writing. Like, how do you make a show where you're supposed to hate everyone, but at the same time know that there's a good team and a bad team? Yeah. I think the best way to do that is if you're trying to make the good team the bad team, make try and make the, the bad team overly likable. Because that's what they do with the Seven. They try and make them these well-polished characters that you're meant to like, but then they're actual scumbags. But with the boys, they're you know, they're, they're funny, wisecracking, they're making jokes and stuff while they're blowing up an invisible man with C4. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the... That isn't shattered in his ass. I, I wasn't sure if you wanted to bring that one up, but it was goddamn hilarious when you realised that... When you think about it, it is a massive plot point in season one that Huey kills Translucent because Butcher shoved C4 up his ass. <laughs> Actually, it was Frenchie. Frenchie takes off the glove uh, afterwards because they... Oh, right, you are, it was Frenchie, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a also we talked about the fact that a large part of season one is them trying to figure out how to kill one person which is interesting to talk about like the power scale between humans and uh, the soups that there's so much mm. that would go into killing someone and half of the the issues that they come across are we can't go down this direction which might kill him um but at the same time if we do it we're going to be caught immediately so much of it is to do with the underhanded kind of criminal approach that they have to take when dealing with uh, Homelander because he can hear things from halfway across the planet and he can fly there in a minute. So there's like the issues, the logistical issues of killing a superhero knowing that another superhero is looking out for stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the, the, the scene of them realising there's a way through this. I had one question though, um, and I don't know if this is explained in the comics or anywhere else. Why did they not kill him with gas? I never understood why they didn't just fill the room with like chlorine gas and just kill him that way. He's stuck in a cage, um, he can't do anything. I never, like, he can't protect himself from it, he would have to breathe eventually, I assume. Why not just fill the room with toxic gas and then leave it there? Because then you've got the windows, you can break one of the windows to let the gas out to go in and take his body out. But, yeah, I that, mean, it is, it is a thing, but I highly doubt uh, Garth Ennis was thinking about the use of chlorine gas when he wrote Translucent as a character. <laughs> and I, I certainly guarantee that uh, Eric Kripke, when he was writing the series, thought, I'd definitely thought you know what it'll be funny if we just stick c4 in them and then blow them up that way it is a much better to solution them. to shove a, a a stick of dynamite up his ass um. yeah. <laughs> as opposed to going to find chlorine gas and making it that way because that's just that would have been complicated i'm not saying I, the, i'm a super villain but i'm just saying i thought of that first suck at butcher <laughs> then again you get the sense that butcher's a smart guy butcher knows what he's doing when it comes to this shit he probably did think of chlorine gas, but then opted for C4 because that's just a bit more fun. <laughs> yeah, I like the, the idea of there being like a fun, like we're weighing up the ratio of how, like the equation of how we're going to do this. How do we factor fun into it? And it does actually seem like something would happen in this universe. But uh, I, I did also notice that Frenchie decides to get really, really high to uh, to try and figure out what the solution is. Like he can't think 
of a, a solution. He's sober. Yeah, he's trying to think of a solution. It's like, I'm too sober for this. Let me take acid and uh, MDMA. <laughs> yeah. Let me just take a couple hits and just watch some like weird cartoons, and I will go, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> Shove dynamite <laughs> up someone's ass. Uh, it's um, it's a unique ex- uh, it's a unique thing, but it is as you say, it's a very good point that Huey is the most uh, pathetic person you could possibly think of. It takes I was like, he's he loses his girlfriend. It takes him ages to get over that. But there's large parts of the start of it, the introduction to him and his dad, uh, played by Simon Pegg, um, yeah. that are spent explaining. I'm sorry, son, you're not cut out for this. We're kind of sad, mediocre people, and it's. Yeah horrifically sad when you stop and think about what was just said between a father and a son there's at no point your dad should sit you down and say son we are too pathetic to do what you want to do in life and then just kind of have to try and accept that as part of your character development see the funny thing is uh, in the comics Huey Campbell was actually Scottish if that conversation happened in the comics he'd be like listen son we were born shite bags we're always (laughs) going to be shite bags we're going to die shite bags if we're lucky we're going to have a couple of shite bag kids best you can do settle down focus on your work forget the dead girl and take that assistant supervisor job <laughs> like oh take the money dad and stop being a shite bag yeah i mean that's that's part of it is that huey does have that little bit of a spine them he does tear up the check from vault for forty five thousand dollars, i think it was to cover up the death yeah, to sign the nda um which is all fairly boilerplate stuff which just raises the question how often does this happen that you have a boilerplate contract for uh, murdered yeah. victims? That was actually one point that I'm quite glad you raised because how quickly the contract gets to Huey after it happens gives you the sense that this happens on a monthly, maybe weekly mm. basis. That, you know, a Homelander is using his heat vision all of a sudden, oh shit, there goes a school bus of kids or Queen <laughs> Maeve is stretching and then just knocks out someone, knocks their head out off their body. Yeah. And uh, it's it's one of the things of like it makes you realise that deep down Vought hires or Vought is willing to accept civilian casualties in the Yeah, they have a very high level of collateral damage. Mm. And again, like throwing forty five grand at someone for a death, like throwing forty five grand at a f- I don't know if they're married, is it his girlfriend? I don't know if Somewhere he's that, fiance yeah, or something like that. Talking about moving in at the very start of it before she gets splatted. But essentially he's just a witness. So it's not quite hush money. It might be. It's a kind of a grey area. But at the same time, like, I'll pay you 45 grand of hush money to not talk about your girlfriend's murder. That is, like, very dark and very fucked up. But it's it's all in the pursuit of preserving A-Train as a hero. So it's all about, you know, keeping... Our vault are all about keeping the Seven being the shining example of, you know, this is, what, this is how people should behave. If you have this gift, you need to use it for the good of humanity. So you can imagine that by A being high on an experimental compound and B speed forcing through someone and busting them into yellow and busting them into red ribbons, probably not the image that Vault want to go for. I never thought of the aspect that someone would probably flag up that A-Train was high as shit. And yeah, he's acting weird, but I mean, also he just did run through a person. So it might come into play that someone would be trying to do a drug test and finds a weird compound floating in the middle of his veins. I mean, I don't know if you could do drug tests on superhumans, but um, yeah, yeah I, I reckon that yeah, that would actually end up being an issue. So I would turn around and say, "Hey, you had this weird thing in your system. What is this?" And then yeah. during an investigation or a court case, that would open up a lot of uh, pretty serious issues. Yeah, although the weird thing about it is, whenever they try and take all the superheroes, seem to have this invulnerable thing about them. 
they all have, you know, stronger than average skin because you see it with Stormfront in season two, and you see it with a uh, Annie uh, Starlight in season one where she gets shot yeah. with the fifty cal bullet. That would decimate <laughs> a normal human being, like break the rib cage apart from the inside out. Oh, there'd but be a hole in you. It. There, there would be yeah. a hole through your body, and the back, the, the entrance hole would be about the size of a Red Bull can. The exit wound would be about the width of an ex- a Red Bull can's length. Um, so yeah, I, I think uh, there is this thing where they just say that you can struggle off damage. I mean, at one point, uh, I think it might be season one, but uh, it's like the guy that's shooting up from at the cops in the tower. It's one of the few superhero scenes where you see Homelander uh, go after the guy uh, who's like shooting at multiple police cars with an AK forty seven. And uh, he goes in and just snaps the guy's neck. I think it might be after the, uh, or just before or after the uh, the plane incident where he jumps up and then they grab the lone shooter and they snap his neck, but Homelander takes a lot of joy in it. And he's like, I'm going to enjoy killing you, you piece of fucking shit, and then just snaps his neck in half. And yeah, I think then... that's when uh, Homelander and Maeve are in the skyscraper. And she, that's when Homelander starts shooting her. Yeah, Homelander's like, no, no, no. This is too clean. We you gotta make deal. it look like you put up a fight, and then he just grabs the AK forty seven and unloads into her chest, and you're like, "Jesus Christ!" You can shrug off five five six. Yeah, it's uh, it was one of those weird like surreal scenes where like I, I think the show knows that it's a show, but then it does turn out that superheroes basically just ignore bullets up until a certain point. But uh, yeah, I you think you kind of just get the sense that the like normal shit doesn't work with them, so you you need to think outside the box. And that was like. I th- I'm pretty sure at one point when uh, like Butcher's grabbing the 50 cal and he's like set up, he's like, "This might not work." I don't know. I've never really shot a 50 cal at a soup yet. But uh, yeah, like I, I get thought... the sense that he took a bit of glee in trying though. <laughs> Again, it's he the... wanted to figure that shit out. It's the it's the childish experimentation that uh, Butcher has that Frenchie has as well that makes them interesting to watch when they're like you're being given a, a weird problem to solve and they're like, I don't know, shove dynamite up the ass. <laughs> <laughs> Try a 50 cal, it might work. <laughs> Nothing to lose, but like my entire head. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, the last plot point I had was that uh, Homelander kills his own uh, lover's last manager, uh, Butcher blows him up, and then that's the end of season one. Yeah, it ends with basically the boys going on the run, because they're pretty much declared public enemy number one. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, America's enemy number one. Yeah, this uh, actually in a very interesting uh, reflection. Like, it shows up more in season two, but the the view of the the boys is very American. It is mm-hmm. centered almost, in, and it, the only time it deals with foreign countries is literally American foreign policy and interventions. Um, like Homelander wanting to be part of the military strike teams that go after super terrorists. That's all they really talk yeah. about. Um, so I think we just roll straight into season two. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this starts, as we say, like, Homelander and Butcher survived the blast at the end of season one, uh, with yeah, Homelander... The, the bombshell that uh, Becca, Butcher's wife, is still alive, and <laughs> he has a little mini Superman as a child. Uh, yeah, but he fly, Homelander flies uh, the kid, actually, because uh, Madeline had a child. He actually flies that kid, like, what, three kilometres away? And then, at the same time, also flies uh, Butcher out of the building before the blast kills them both to a secret vault compound where Butcher's wife, Becca, has been living in isolation. Yeah. Uh, raising Homelander's son. Uh, Homelander yeah. then takes Butcher to the middle of nowhere, uh, where he wakes up, now realising his wife is alive, and that, you know, there's still hope. Uh, it was an interesting way to pick up after season two. It was weird to be like, oh, this show actually will give you a little bit of hope. <laughs> yeah. 
Not much, but you know. And it will take it away almost as quickly. Uh, we then have the telekinetic super terrorist that's seen on CCTV footage throwing a fucking fishing boat at someone. Um, yeah, th- this is cool. <laughs> uh, this is later revealed to be the female's brother, uh, but Butcher sets up a trade with the CIA to hand over uh, Kenji in exchange for help finding Becca. Um, and this I was something I actually forgotten was actually looking through notes for season two to try and like write this episode. And uh, I was looking through the plot points. I was like, oh yeah, like it was like a, it was going to be a trade off. I couldn't remember why Butcher did certain things in the season, but then when you read it, you're like, yep, that makes sense. Um, Homelander tries to be a more present father to his son uh, called Ryan, uh, and it goes about as well as you'd expect, when uh, a large part of Homelander's character is that he was raised without a mother or father. He was raised by a room full of doctors trying to get the best superhero they could out of him, and it's basically responsible for why he's such a cold, uncaring person. Yeah, the, the scenes with Homelander and Ryan are some of the funny shit. Like the part where he's on, the whole point of his interaction with Ryan is that he wants to have his own little mini-me because yeah. he's a narcissist. And the part where he tries to teach him how to fly and just taps him lightly in the back. The, <laughs> a family guy face plants onto the ground. The fucking roof then, scene. Oh my god. <laughs> it, there's not even a kind of, oh shit, I've just pushed my son. There's a kind of exasperation. Just, oh, come on, kid. Why aren't you up. flying yet? <laughs> and I the, broke Mark II by the time I was 10 years old. And the line of him saying, like, the Becca comes out and is the mother and is like, oh my god, you've just killed our son, you threw him off the fucking roof. And he's like, he's my son, he's probably going to be better because of it. <laughs> it's that very kind of, like, I don't give a shit, I'm the tough dad. And uh, there's a large part of, like, Homelander is the American dream made manifest. Uh, he loves baseball to the point of absurdity. He loves, like, apple pie and steak dinners and stuff like that. Like, he is... Uh, the American heartland saving uh, the, the the modern day from itself almost and a lot of it like his parenting style is very 1950s where that kind of identity of American homeland was uh, like solidified during the Cold War and I think like a lot of it shows up in really subtle ways <laughs> like him saying come on he's my son he's gonna play baseball the kid doesn't give a shit about baseball. The kid wants to learn. Like the kid loves to yeah. learn. He like do computer stuff and mechanics, and like he likes interacting with things that he likes to learn. He's not. Yeah, he likes Lego and shit like that. He's not a meathead. Stop motion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He makes uh, Ryan makes a stop motion version of like his mum's favorite movies because it's something he wants to do to creatively express himself. Because he's a kid, he wants to creatively express himself. Whereas Homelander is a fifties guy, um, and he just doesn't understand that idea that a kid would yeah. want to express themselves outside of something that's sports. And uh, the fact that he's making movies for his mum, like he's recreating his mum's favourite movies, really pisses off Homelander in a way. Like you can tell, like, he's looking at it going, you're turning my kid into a sissy. He's a fucking superhero. Stop making him a little pussy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> There's that aspect of it, like, that Homelander is this um, overly masculine force on... And when he looks at his child being raised to be a bit more feminine, he absolutely like that's when you can see the rage just build a little bit. Yeah, when when Homelander realizes that this his kid, specifically his kid, is going to grow up to be, you know, well educated and not a good old red, <laughs> white, and blue American. Yeah, it, you can you can literally see that that twitch in the eye. Because <laughs> if I could describe Homelander, it's that little twitch of annoyance in the eye just turned into a person. He's he's that moment of rage where it's like, you're teaching my son to read. I don't want to be son. How dare you? <laughs> How dare Why do you? you read when you can punch through galaxies. <laughs> yeah. 
But uh, the uh, meanwhile, our favorite character, the Deep, <laughs> our favorite rapist, the Deep. <laughs> it's, it's like that's that's the tone of the show. You can say he's my favorite rapist because <laughs> he's the victim of everything comedic. Um, actually, we didn't. You mentioned it in passing, but we didn't talk about the fact that at the end of season one. Uh, when he goes to Sandusky and works uh, to promote the water park there, um, as well as making a um, a local TV advertisement to advertise the, the dolphin show, he actually wants to save one of the dolphins and tries to steal a dolphin out of uh, the, 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 I guess, SeaWorld enclosure. And the interaction of him driving away in the van as the, do- the dolphins try to proposition him for a handjob might be the most absurd joke I've ever seen until he slams on the brakes and the dolphin flies out the front windscreen and gets murdered by a truck. I <laughs> fucking lost it. I paused the video and just laughed my ass off for a solid five minutes at just the despair in his face. <laughs> Not only because he gave in to giving the dolphin a hand job, but because a second later that dolphin was dead. <laughs> There was something about the just look of disbelief on the deep's face, and when they come back to uh, report on it, because it, it cuts to like the next morning, and the the TV uh, the news crews have got a, a like they've got the story, and they show the deep sitting next to the dead dolphin body, like the paste that has become the dolphin. It's him sitting cross legged, just weeping for the dead dolphin as a news camera walks around him. <laughs> Yeah, he stayed with that dead fucking dolphin for twenty minutes while the camera crew got there. <laughs> <laughs> he loved that dolphin, man. It's so. He was going to save him. We we talk about the deep being pathetic. You cannot understand. They they play like the actor uh, actually was in an old uh, like one of those really bad fantasy movies called uh, The Covenant where uh, five boys have like supernatural powers. It was around the time people were trying to make like rip off Twilight movies. Uh, he was one of oh, the actors. Oh, you mean uh, that. Chronicle? No, Covenant. Um, it's a, it's a really like it was a straight to DVD movie that no one ever saw, but it is fucking. I, I loved it. I thought it was really like good bad that weird way, uh, where it's just bad enough to be good. Um, but he was in that, and like they've made, they've just went to him and said, "Can you be dumb for two seasons at least?" And he just went, <laughs> "Okay, yes, yeah, I'm dumb," because <laughs> uh, all of his plans fail. Everything he does is very short-sighted, and every, his reaction to everything is just puppy dog idiocy. And um, so, yeah, he's now in Sandusky, trying to repair his image, uh, just hiding in the shadows, waiting to try and come back after being kind of me too. And he joins a Christian church called the Collective, who are going to try and revitalize his image um, after uh, being me too, uh, to the point where he holds auditions to find a potential wife, which I thought was really creepy, but uh, it kind of works. And if you're aware of like what's going on with like Scientology, it does seem to be that type of thing, you know, where it seems like you know they're setting up arranged marriages with uh, for high-profile members to make them look like good, upstanding citizens. It is also quite. No, I was going to say quite weird. It's also weird as fuck. Yeah, <laughs> the whole thing. The, the, it's it, it's the fact that it takes you a minute to get into realize what is happening uh, when they're doing the interviews or whether when they're having these uh, phone or these videotaped sessions with the wives. And they're they're talking to the camera about being a loyal, proud housewife, willing to raise an entire family of young mutants or young heroes, uh, while you make the money and like I'm a classic traditional housewife. And then it gets to the third one, she's like, "I'm a freak in the bed." He's like, "That one, that one." <laughs> <laughs> give me, give me, give me, give me, 
give, give me the pervert. Give me the pervert. Uh, <laughs> give me the freak show. Um, meanwhile, the deep is replaced by Stormfront, an electrocute-powered soup who uses social media uh, platforms to spread her message that soups are the only way to save America from foreign invaders. Uh, to the point where one of her uh, like one of her episodes or one of her lines of dialogue is to make America safe again. And if you think you know where this is going, you're correct. <laughs> it's exactly what you think. Uh, we'll get back to that one later on because um, we need to talk about Kenji um, because they actually the boys do eventually capture Kenji, kind of, um, and realise that it's Kimiko's uh, brother. Yeah. Uh, and they are attempting to hand him over to the CIA. Um, they're not entirely sure what's going to happen when he gets to the CIA, but that's none of their problem. Uh, the seven yeah, actually... need them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the seven actually start to hunt the boys down and meet them in the sewers, but not before killing a fucking whale. <laughs> in one of yeah, the greatest that, scenes that. of television of all time. Yeah, that shit with the whale was... Again, it shouldn't be funny. <laughs> funny I think it was supposed to be funny. I think they knew what they were doing with that scene. <laughs> yeah, you think, yeah pro- maybe. Again, if you made it this far into the podcast without seeing that scene, go f- actually just stop listening to the podcast and watch it again. It's fucking funny. <laughs> yeah. uh, Kenji, uh, Kenji actually escapes both groups while they're, uh, they're battling in the sewers, uh, but Kenji is hunted down by Stormfront who blows up half a building trying to capture him, and she decides to kill uh, while Kimiko watches. And uh, this brings Stormfront into confrontation with Homelander, who said, no, the, the super terrorist is mine, because he's trying to make a name for himself as the, the only one who can take down the super terrorists as part of his uh, continuing PR war. Uh, Stormfront is actually revealed to be the rebranding of a hero called Liberty, a deeply racist first-generation hero from the 50s or 60s, who helped keep America safe and murder black people on quiet country roads because she could. And, uh, again, yeah. it does not stop there. Yeah, very fucked up scene. Yeah, um, very, uh, again, like, if we want to talk about the, the show's ability to talk about, like, uh, current generations of, like, slightly racist dogma being, like, they make America great again or keep America safe again, they have... Um, I felt like that was almost a perfect representation of stuff like Jim Crow laws in the South, where it's like a black guy will say something happened, but it takes one white woman to just ruin his life and ultimately kill him. Um, and I, I think that was a very obvious nod to America's deeply troubled past and uh, current issues at the same time. Because it was very well done. Um, but again, because the show is what it is, very fucked up. Uh, the stuff with Stormfront, just as a whole, she presents herself as, you know, a bit of a schemer and a bit of a, you know, I will do anything to get my agenda fulfilled. Yeah. Then you dig slightly deeper than that, and it is incredibly fucked up. And again, it's another example of where the comic books are way more fucked up than that. I think there's more to go into with the history of uh, Stormfront. Yeah, so we'll, I'm just we'll saying that, that back on the Stormfront, Yeah, I was just saying that Stormfront in the comics is fucked up, but she's you know, equally fucked up in a kind of a different way in the in the TV show. Yeah, I think the TV show was a modern rewrite of a character that maybe hadn't... It wasn't maybe like it was written one way, but now that things have gone the way they are with current politics and racial tensions in America, they were like, we could maybe give this a quick rewrite and add in some stuff. Um, so I haven't read the comic books, but I'm guessing that's yeah. where they went with it. Um, yeah, I mean, the biggest change for Stormfront is that in Stormfront in the comics was a man. Okay. And... Uh, Stormfront. That would make uh, sex was... scenes a bit more interesting with Homelander, I'll give it that. Yeah, <laughs> obviously there was no sexual subplot with Homelander because 
Stormfront is genetically Homelander's father. So, when I was when I was watching the show, I was like, "Don't, don't Game <laughs> of Thrones this motherfucker. This it can't be. I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want this." <laughs> then you know, it just turns out she's just a one hundred year old racist. <laughs> Which they is... kept that bit intact. They kept the Nazi part intact, but just they got rid uh, of the, the edible stuff. Lot. <laughs> spoilers for later on in the podcast. Um, we, we can't talk. We've got a spoiler shield for the show. We need to have spoilers on our own, our own podcast. But um, yeah, the. There's also revealed that uh, Stormfront is actually waging her own PR war because while the Seven are classic, uh, they're also like a, a version of superheroes uh, and a version of celebrities now. Um, these are the slightly older generation of celebrities, i.e. pre-social media celebrities. Stormfront actually embraces social media power and at one point is teaching Homelander the power of memes in converting bad instants into good PR. Um, especially after... Um, a scene where Homelander flies to an African country to deal with a superpowered terrorist there and accidentally lasers through the villain uh, to hit a, an innocent bystander. And yeah, cuts, uh, uh, I think it's a little boy or something in half. I think it's, it's, a, it's a young guy. Um, I think it's a full-grown yeah. man, though. But yeah, he lasers a, a kid in the chest and that young guy dies. And this yeah. is uh, fil- filmed and then put up on the internet. Uh, to which Homelander responds, "What these people can't feed themselves, but they have fucking iPhones." I go, okay, uh, <laughs> cheers, mate. That was uh, interesting. But uh, just did appreciate that. <laughs> um, but that is like, and then uh, it's up to Stormfront to say, "Look, this is this is bad. The mainstream media will has to hate you for it because otherwise they lose their audience." But there's another type of media. It's social media where you can just meme the shit out of this. Watch this. Yeah. And she actually makes a very, um, like, American Pride, America First nationalist uh, post online and starts spreading it around uh, with a group of people. Like, she has a PR team, but she just emails them a meme and says, can you make 20 versions of this and then put it up on image boards? And I'm like, that's interesting. <laughs> that is a very, a very good uh, dig at modern uh, politics. Because you can influence uh, that type of uh, decision-making or that kind of uh, uh, the cultural opinion of an instant with stuff like that, and it was very interesting to see it played out on a TV show. Yeah, and I like that. Just at any point, uh, Stormfront just has a team of uh, meme creators just ready to <laughs> dole out memes. Actually, I shouldn't have called them a PR team. I should have called them the meme team. <laughs> yeah, they are the meme team. Meme team six. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it, that is the type of humor. I would have also accepted. Uh, I would have also accepted Simp Team Five. Simp Team Five, I suppose. Yeah, they are. They are simping, and she's never going to touch it. So yeah, I suppose yeah. so. <laughs> um, meanwhile, the boys lose, tra- lose track of Butcher, uh, who goes to his aunt Judy's house, um, where Black Noir hunts him down. Uh, they get into a fight and blow up of half of Aunt Judy's house. Aunt Judy, by the way, stellar lassie, absolutely top quality aunt. Just <laughs> uh, uh, making a shit ton of money peddling <laughs> meth, but you know, top bloke, top bloke. Um, the fight only ends when Butcher threatens to release uh, Ryan, Homelander's son, uh, like information to the media, which has been a recurring theme throughout this season and has mentioned in season one that the biggest weaknesses of the superheroes is their personal reputations. Yeah. And that is why the difference between Homelander and Stormfront, like the the modernising of uh, Heroes PR in Stormfront, Stormfront is so interesting because there is hinted that if these guys fuck up bad enough, they can lose everything. And it doesn't matter if you're a superhero, if you're fucking homeless, you know? Yeah. Um, 
yeah, there's always the underlying or oh, the underlying uh, thought that if they can't be profitable, they're nothing. So you could be a superhero, you could do this, but if you can't make fault money, you're out in your ass. You could be a super powered teacher. Yeah. Uh, to the point where we actually Which would meet... be fucking hysterical to see. Like Homelander trying to teach uh, PE or something, just shot putting a ball into the stratosphere. Do- dodgeball with a, with a man who can punch the sun. <laughs> All of a sudden... Well, to Timmy. Well, uh, Mr. Homelander's a new PE teacher and, well, he's dead now. I mean, he yelled dodge, but the ball moved at the speed of sound, so... Timmy doesn't have a chest anymore. <laughs> Timmy, Timmy's just a paste. Yeah, we don't know what happened to him. Um, uh, we also have uh, Butcher manages to find and infiltrate the Vought compound that uh, keeps Becca uh, in place. Uh, so they bang on a bridge that no one can see because there's cameras everywhere. Um, mm. But it does show that. Actually, I did like that it's a little bit of character development for Becca that she has started to resent Vought. Uh, she went, turns out she went to Vought after being uh, raped by Homelander and uh, said, I am carrying uh, Homelander's son. I need help. The official line um, was that uh, Becca disappeared. And that's most of season one is Becca's gone. She disappeared, but she's probably dead. Uh, he's uh, he's then told the lie that Becca was carrying Homelander's son and died during childbirth because you can't give birth to a superior child. And then it turns out she's been alive and raising the son as part of a vote experiment to prove that you can have a superhero give them a normal mother and it balances out the psychological issues that we see present in Homelander. And uh, that, that's that been a recurring thing that uh, Becca was basically tricked into living in a weird compound with fake neighbours who are all scientists who are observing uh, the development of the child and uh, yeah. fake school and stuff to send them to and homeschooling a bit as well. But she's basically yeah. been forced into this weird situation. Yeah, this weird Truman Show scenario where she's just, you know, watched constantly and everything set up and staged it was kind of weird yeah but then again what are the kind of company that would go to extreme lengths to protect their brand yeah and ryan is an asset as well i mean if if you can balance yeah. out if you can take homelander's power and then take away all the psychological issues you're onto a winning formula yeah and it's also a it's also a a point it's also a point in the making season one that all superheroes are meant to be sterile so they can control making new superheroes. It's not random. If they want a speedster, they can make a speedster. If mm-hmm. they want uh, another Homelander, they can make that. Yeah. And to find out that Homelander can then make his own kids, that kind of fucks with their business plan. And the fact that most superheroes are promiscuous bastards anyway, mm-hmm. it, it probably would make Vought shit themselves. Yeah. So and it does got that to drink into the. It it does raise that question of like. Was what the superheroes told true? Do they all just wear condoms anyway to be on the safe side? I mean, how do you explain that you're a superhero with an STI? Um, Did they all just wear these lead condoms anyway? Just like, no, no, I, I have to wear this. Oh, imagine the speed of Homelander's nut. <laughs> just ripping through that, condoms. <laughs> you, do you remember hearing the myth that a dolphin nuts so powerful that it could rip a woman in half? No. It could liquefy their insides? <laughs> it was a... Oddly enough, I was watching Whose Lines It Anyway with Aisha Tyler, so you know, bringing it back into the boys. Yeah. She said that uh, someone was miming having sex with a dolphin. Then uh, she said, oh, apparently you can't do that because it would liquefy your insides. <laughs> apparently the, the power that comes out of a dolphin <laughs> during ejaculation. So, imagine a homelander just splitting someone in half, literally. <laughs> now that just raises a question because during the like early days of people trying out LSD, a bunch of scientists wanted to find out if people could communicate with dolphins. 
So they had a woman live with a dolphin. And apparently she jacked him off. <laughs> Which means, like, they flooded a house, or they t- made, like, a house for him to live in that was, like, up to she the waist in the water. <laughs> well, either lost an eye or knocked a painting off the wall. <laughs> <laughs> she shows up to the next meeting with a black eye going, what happened? Oh, I, I dropped my phone on my eye. We don't have those yet. Shit. Uh. <laughs> oh, shit, it's the 70s. <laughs> If, yeah, if those you, brick mobile phones that fell in my eye. If you dropped a brick phone on your on your eye, the way that people drop the phones on their face now, you wouldn't have a fucking face. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, <laughs> but like I said, it was a point of getting off the subject of dolphin cum. We ha- yeah. like I find it interesting that Becca is starting to try and pick away at Vought from the inside. Like she's trying to get out of that compound. I found that to be interesting. That I, you originally think that Becca has betrayed uh, Butcher. But I think she she does realize she's made a mistake and is trying to get back to living a normal life to protect her son because she realizes that Vought are going to just pull the ripcord and she will die at the hands of a Vought agent at some point. Yeah. Can you get the sense that she realizes that she's on borrowed time so she's like, I need to get out of this as soon as possible. But the fact that she's memorized camera locations and knows where everything points to, I'm like, that's like, she's, she's good. Because um, obviously there's a whole thing of like, you never really hear about Butcher's past. You hear like little bits and pieces. Like I, I didn't know he was in the SAS till like halfway through season two, um, and it's a throwaway line from his dad that mentions it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there's like all these things. You know, oh, he's maybe he's taught her little bits and pieces about how to be how to avoid stuff. Like he has ties to secret service agencies, or he's tied to like uh, intelligence agencies. And I'm like, yeah. interesting. So he's clearly teach. He's taught her something, or she's taught herself. Either one. I mean, she was in the CIA. So was she? Yeah, that's how she knows Butcher. CIA or FBI, but yeah. I must have missed that. Hmm. But yeah, like yeah. she she has her own... Like, I, I like that they gave her her own little bit of like, yeah, she's going to start standing up for herself. And uh, the the panic caused by having Homelander's son has worn off. Uh, so we then have uh, Starlight, who's been running kind of uh, intelligence gathering behind the scenes, uh, including interacting with a guy called Gecko, in one of the weirdest kink scenes I've ever seen on television. Yeah, that um, was fucked up. That was fucking funny. Uh, but Starlight tells the boys about Sage Grove Mental Hospital, where Vought have been testing Compound V on people, both from birth and at later stages in life. One of Vought's goals is making Compound V into a viable product uh, for people in later life. Um, it's, a stab- it's stable when given to babies, which is how they make soups in the first place, but Sage Grove yeah. has actually been used to test how late on in life you can give someone uh, the compound V and then try and figure out what the problems are and how to kind of work out uh, any kinks. Uh, the pro- project's overseen by Vought's medical team's uh, Lamplighter and Stormfront. So we find out where Lamplighter has been hiding all this time. And Stormfront yeah, has some I, connection to the project. I, I do like the fact that uh, Lamplighter is played by Iceman from the X-Men movies. Mm. And that gave birth to the meme, you either live long enough to see yourself return as Iceman or you come back as Pyro. <laughs> But uh, the the, the right. Sage Grove, uh, I think it's, it's spread over two episodes, but I found it really interesting. Um, but the they basically the, the the guys from the boys try and infiltrate um, Sage Grove, but it all kicks off when uh, Frenchie recognizes one of the uh, the orderlies in the hospital as mm-hmm. Lamplighter. Now uh, they have history with Lamplighter because Lamplighter uh, set fire to Mallory, which is their uh, one of their handlers for the CIA. Um, she or Lamplighter set fire to Mallory's kids, and Frenchie yeah. got the blame for it because Frenchie lost track of Lamplighter on the way to do the deed. Yeah, 
you find out later in the I think the second part of the Sage Grove episode that uh, Frenchie had to go and deal with someone who was ODing. Yeah, so. they do explain why he left, but at the same time, like it's it's always pinned on Frenchie. It's always Frenchie's mistake, and it's something that he gets shit for um, from a couple of characters. Yeah, mother's milk mainly. Yeah, and uh, I think I think I always took it that he he was pissed off about it the most because he had he had his own family. Yeah. Like, what if that happened to me? Make sure this shit doesn't happen again. That kind of thing. Yeah. I don't think it was so much about the about Mallory's kids. Again, it's more to do with uh, Mother's Milk being like, "I couldn't. Tr- we couldn't trust you with our boss's kids. How can I trust you in general?" Yeah. Um. So it was. It was. It's been a bit of a wedge. They talk a bit more about it in season two. It gets mentioned once or twice in season one. Um. But I think like when you actually hear what went on, you're like, "Oh shit! That was." Uh, it's a bit dark, it's a bit nuanced, and I like it. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> the Frenchie recognizing uh Lamplighter and then Lamplighter recognizing Frenchie starts a bit of a fight, which ends up with a jailbreak uh, at Sage Grove, where basically superpowered prisoners break out of jail cells and all hell breaks loose. Yeah. And uh, there was another fucking great scene with uh, the the telekinetic. Yeah, uh, soup that gets broken out. Uh, the amount of memes that I've seen online, it's just you remember Eleven from Stranger <laughs> Things. Well, yes. here she is now. You feel old yet? Yeah, and I think she's going to come back into the series in a fucking big way, and it's going to scare the shit out of people because she could, you know, fuck people up from halfway across the room. From what I've seen on social media posts, because the second you start googling the show, it comes part of Google Trends because Amazon's pushing it as hard as they can. Because uh, yeah. this this show, by the way, is competing uh, competing with Netflix's uh, big dogs, so they're keen to promote it. But um, yeah. they have um, the, the the speculation around her character and what becomes of uh, her plotline is running rampant right now. Because again, she's one of the most powerful beings in this world. Um, but she decides to open up all the jail cells or all the the prison cells and let loose a horde of like fifty or sixty. Um, mentally unstable superheroes or superpowered individuals onto the doctors who've been keeping them and torturing them for the last couple of years. It goes very, very well for everyone involved. (laughs) Including Mother's Milk being uh, strangled by the dick of a man called Love Sausage. Yeah. uh, And again, in the comics, he's a giant Russian man. (laughs) I mean, at least they still kept them in because he still has the big beard and the big kind of mad... Rasputin here. <laughs> there is a rumor of him coming back for season three, but I don't know if that was Didn't people just fucking. Mm, he gets knocked out, but we don't confirm the body, so it's it's an open thread that Carl uh, I... Urban wants to exploit for like to annoy the oh, fuck right. at the guy who acts as mother's milk. I thought I remember him getting shot in the head, but oh, if oh. he can come back and come back. Um. Let's see. We that oh, so there's the the jailbreak uh, at Sage Grove, which was a great scene. Um, mm. The the remaining team of the boys basically escape uh, with Lamplighter, who is now part of maybe not part of their team, uh, but he is now involved with the boys. Yeah, he's working with them again because you, you find out that he was working. He was the informant before when they were working under Mallory, yeah. and then yeah, shit went down. Yeah, and uh, now the plan is to get a him to testify about the, the effects of Compound V and what happened at Sage Grove to the United States Congress or the people in general and expose uh, Vought for who they really are. Uh, Stormfront reveals her true identity to Homelander 
um, that she was actually the wife of Frederick Vought, uh, a former Nazi scientist who fled Germany and founded Vought International and used Stormfront as the first successful patient for compound V treatment in hopes of creating a true superhuman race to dominate the world in line with Nazi ideology. So this is the, the big reveal. Um, that Stormlander was actually, or Storm, Stormlander, Storm, that's the ship name for Stormfront and Homelander. Yeah, it's a ship name. Uh, but Stormfront was actually around, born in 1919 and is looking good for her age, uh, but also is a Nazi. So, ooh, a bit of a 50-50 toss up there. Uh, <laughs> and they, yeah, like we, we, we mentioned it earlier on that this is the big reveal um, and it is what sets the, the final chapter of the boys uh, basically in motion. That um, that Stormfront reveals it to Homelander, but later on the members of the boys find it out and leak it to the press. At which point everybody goes, "Wait, America's uh, like one of America's thought leaders is actually a, a genuine 1940 or 1939 Nazi um, who has uh, with pictures of her on the arm of uh, Goering and Goebbels, and she shook hands with the Führer at one point. Yeah. Like, oh shit. Yeah, that was that was pretty fucked. And uh, you you do get the sense of them building up her her true, uh, her true intentions that she is a racist, and that she is uh, vehemently opposed to working with black superheroes. Um, I'm not a big fan of the term dog whistling because it seems a bit overused, but she definitely drops a bunch of very uh, heavily coded language about uh, who the who the true people are, who the good people are, who the bad people are. And uh, yeah. who should be allowed in certain uh, groups, and I think at one point she mentions being part of the collective, until they let anyone in, and they give her the the actress gives a sly look to A Train as a, as the only black person in the room, like ooh. Yeah, she, has, she has a few fucked up comments about uh, Stan Edgar. Saying, oh, he, he's good for an example of his race. I was like, yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> that's that's the one. That? Like the the veil slips off gradually throughout the course of the season. And those first couple episodes, you go, hmm, it's a weird comment. And by the end of it, you're like, oh, she's a fucking racist. Okay. She's full-blown racist. <laughs> oh. She just went full tilt bozo into racism. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, Starlight is actually captured uh, because she's helping the boys and held in a cell designed to stop her powers, which I thought was interesting. Um, it shows that Vought has contingency plans for superheroes, which uh, it makes sense. I mean, if you, you build up an empire on the back of Superman, you should probably also have a way to kill Superman just in case. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna try and support Superman, maybe have a stockpile of kryptonite bullets just hidden somewhere. Um I, I like don't Batman know. does. Yeah. Um, Shit, you not Batman has a, a stockpile of kryptonite in case oh, oh, Superman yeah, he, ever goes rogue. He has a number of kryptonite weapons. It's one of the most interesting parts of the comic because uh I think it was uh, it's one of the like offshoots of one of the I think it might be in uh, Unjustice. Um Yeah, Injustice. Injustice uh, Injustice on just you give a shit. Um, but the, that, that dickhead Superman comic. <laughs> uh, but the, the slightly less dickhead Superman comic than normal uh, than this show. Um, but yeah, yeah, like the the idea that you know someone out there takes the precaution of thinking, hey, this guy might not always be on our side. And I like that Vought has that uh, that forethought as a company. Um, yeah. However, the it's also I don't know if it's been leaked before this uh, that Vought is growing the superheroes of Compound V. Um, but also it does leak to the press about uh, Stormfront's uh, true heritage. Um, but I think this actually happens afterwards. I've got a, I've inserted a note here that doesn't belong, so that's a mistake. Uh, but yeah, um, Starlight gets captured and held in the cell. Uh, Huey and Lamplighter go to actually uh, save uh, Starlight. Starlight. 
Yep. yep. Um, only thing is that once um, Homelander, or once, once Lamplighter, realizes that he will be uh, never really part of the Seven again because his statue's been removed, he decides to self-immolate, which is yep. kind, of, kind of a weird move. It was a bit underexplained, I thought. So um, we have Starlight's escape with uh, Huey is stopped by Black Noir. Uh, the two of them get into a fight, uh, during which I'm pretty sure Black Noir choke slams Starlight through the Seven's uh, table, which is uh, very, yeah. very good metaphor. Um, because at this point, Queen Maeve steps in and knocks him out so bad he's referred to as a vegetable in the next episode by Homelander, <laughs> which I yeah, told you. And probably the the best way to take down, because like, Black Noir is the the superhero that he's sent to get other superheroes. He's the guy that, he's Mr. Fix-It, you got a problem, <laughs> Black Noir will get it sorted. He gets taken out by a piece of chocolate. Because it's revealed that uh, Black Noir, it's actually, it's woven in kind of subtly a couple episodes before, to that he actually has an an almond allergy. Um, yeah, peanut, uh, I thought it was peanut allergy. But. <laughs> which, uh, it, you know, it's, it's almonds, because the, the, the candy bar they take him out with is Almond Joy. All right. Because uh, earlier on, he goes to uh, like he goes to go to Vought's intelligence agency, or like the the data gathering people, and there's a girl eating mm. an almond joy, and he t- like he knocks off the the, the table, and it's you know, a I, very. I remember him just picking up a, a a bin and just pointing at it. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, nope, get it in. I we cannot have a further conversation in air quotes, um, without <laughs> without you getting rid of that. But yeah, it was a weird character moment. You're like, what's the like? Is he just very strict about eating at work is this thing yeah. maybe he's just very health conscious like no chocolate get that in the bin but you, you get to there you get to this and you're like oh fuck they wove that in really well yeah <laughs> um so yeah um queen Maeve knocks out uh or puts him into anaphylactic shock with an almond bar and then um lets the other two escape which was an interesting moment um but she stays in the vault tower which again like hmm <laughs> I'll be interested to see how she gets out of that one. Um, in the meantime, with the lamplighter being dead, the the boys need a new person to testify in front of Congress. So Butcher goes to see Vogelbaum, who is the scientist that created Homelander, basically, and uh, yeah. convinces him to testify by threatening to murder everyone Vogelbaum ever knew, which was the most baller move ever. Yeah, does so in front of Vogelbaum's <laughs> is it daughter, granddaughter? It's like a niece or something. He's like, oh, my, this is my niece, and he's yeah. like. I will fucking get her. But at the same time, like he never actually addresses the niece. He just tells Vogelbaum, I will kill everyone you love. Everyone you ever hugged will fucking die if you don't testify in front of Congress. And then he's like, oh, yeah. nice tea, love. Excellent brew. Oh, great strong brew. Much appreciated. <laughs> lovely lovely cup of chow. And then immediately looks back to him like, I'll fucking do it. <laughs> it was, it's that, it's that, that smile that Butcher gives you, like, oh shit, this guy's serious. He won't. <laughs> It's the polite menace, and it's delicious. I love it. It's yeah. uh, a great Carl Urban moment. I can't <laughs> this is why I, I enjoy him in a bunch of movies. Um, I think his Dread was fantastic. Um, right. Absolutely underrated, but like stuff like this, I'm like, when you can actually see him just acting and just enjoying and being a bit of a cheeky shit, it's, uh, it's delightful. Um, right. Fantastic. So uh, Vogelbaum actually uh, goes ahead with going to meet Congress, or meets the Congressional... Uh, hearing on it uh, and then his, as he begins to testify his head explodes quickly followed by shockwave and 10 random onlookers in the crowd and I will say that ending to the episode was amazing because it leaves you with like yeah. a massive question of like wait yeah. that, that was a plan that was the backup plan to the plan 
what the fuck did we do now? And the fact that yeah, uh, it wasn't just human heads, it was super heads as well. And I think it was a very, like, they show Shockwave dying. I'm like, I didn't even know why Shockwave was in that room, but he was clearly in that room just to die. Yeah. Is that not after? No, that's well before A-Train gets back into the seven. so I don't know why he was there. Um, I don't know, because A-Train is technically, he's not, he's not out publicly yet. He is on the way out. He knows it's coming. Uh, he knows his heart issues are being exposed by Homelander, who can hear his heartbeat, and he knows that A-Train's in a bit of a shit show, and they're hinting that Shockwave is going to come back in, um, or will be brought in to replace A-Train at some point. Uh, yeah. But I don't think I still keep the name A Train. Yeah, I think they're they're like it's in that weird thing where like they haven't announced it publicly because there's the PR side of things to be considered as well. I think mm. uh, he's there as a friend of Vought's to hear the testimony, um, with the obvious implication that you know this will affect his career going forward. But he is uh, he's popped, um, and we'll get into that later on because uh, there's part of like the the very last scene of the show uh, for season two is it kind of explains why uh, he gets picked out. But I, I originally thought it was just to explain um, why he has been, or originally to explain that whoever is popping these heads, because we have had a previous victim of this, doesn't just target humans. They can also take down a soup. Yeah. Um, what else do we have? Uh, Homelander and Stormfront take Ryan from Becca, uh, saying that they basically aren't letting him live to his full potential. Uh, Becca flees the compound to find Butcher. Uh, Maeve actually finds footage from inside the crash airliner from season one and is going to use it to blackmail Homelander, but her girlfriend Elena finds it on her phone. Uh, that causes the two to break up and sends uh, Queen Maeve into another uh, bender. Because why not? Yeah. Uh, Becca meets Butcher in their underground hideaway and explains what's going on with Ryan. Butcher goes to Edgar, the head of Vought International, and offers to help capture Ryan in exchange for separating Ryan and Becca so he can start a new life with his wife. Because I couldn't remember, I was watching it this morning, I was like, I can't remember why Butcher offers to help Vought, but it's to obviously separate yeah. the two of them. Yeah, it's to try and get uh, Becca back and do something with Ryan, because I think Ryan, uh, uh, Butcher at this point knows that Ryan has powers. So he's like, yeah, I just want, they can take the kid, I just want Becca. Yeah. Fuck him. I ain't dealing deal with no soup, bro. Yeah. Um, the boys and Starlight, uh, who's joining now because she's managed to get out of the compound for Vought, uh, set up a plan to get Homelander away from the cabin that he's using to hide uh, Ryan in, um, using ultra-high frequency notes that draw Homelander to a pile of speakers out in the woods, which I thought was a very good plan. I'm like, that's the, yeah, that, that would work. Yeah, that was genius. Yeah. He, only superhero or only someone with superhero could hear something on that frequency, so. Yeah. Uh, Homelander goes to investigate. Uh, Butcher and Becca grab Ryan and take uh, them back to the staging area. Butcher's then supposed to hand Ryan over to Vought, but left his phone, which was uh, providing the homing signal for a, a kind of special forces private security team uh, that would uh, go and meet them once he'd secured Ryan. He left that in the cabin as he realises Becca wouldn't be happy with her, uh, Ryan with her. The private security team then goes to the cabin to secure Ryan and is murdered by a very furious Homelander. We talked about how much we enjoy uh, Carl Urban's acting as Butcher, mm. but watching the guy who plays Homelander just lose it for like a couple yeah. scenes every every episode is just fantastic. Yeah, again, that, that twitch in the eye that you see from Homelander. 
that just becomes a full-on death stare when yeah. Homelander's in the cabin. <laughs> you just think, holy shit, we're going to see him just cut through seven Special Forces soldiers like they're nothing. Yeah, there, there's a moment of like, where is my son? And then he's like, sir, you got to calm down and understand that for the company, and immediately, where is my son? And laser blast. <laughs> the screaming of where is my son, and then just annihilating the first guy, and then turn to look at everyone else like, you're next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of you here. I'd like to get through this quickly. Yeah. Tell me where he is. Um, Stormfront uh, was actually on her way to meet uh, with Homelander and Ryan, uh, but she sees what's going on and ambushes the team in the staging area and destroys the getaway vehicles and some of the special gear that Frenchie designed to take her down. Becca, Ryan and Butcher escape in the woods while the boys hold her off, um, and Kimiko attempts to avenge her brother's death by sticking her boot up Stormfront's uh, Nazi K, which is one of the best jokes of the season. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Stormfront's attack uh, basically has them screwed. Like, I, I well, again, watching this this morning, I'm like, well, nobody really stood the chance. Um, it's It does kind of fall down to, um, to what... Uh, Kimiko and Starlight to kind of hold the line yeah. because they're the only superhero people there. And uh, I did actually find it quite funny when uh, Huey's trying to shoot Stormfront, <laughs> how he can't hold the gun properly. Yeah. And you've got because you've got a uh, Frenchy dual wielding pistols, you've got a uh, mother's milk yeah. just you know blasting away with the shotgun, and then you've got Huey barely holding the nine millimeter. Well, it makes sense because Frenchy's uh, former French Foreign Legion, he's ex military yeah. as well. Um, so like they're they're both military veterans, and then all of a sudden you have like this one kid showing up with a gun, <laughs> just kind of like yeah, the... he was like a half minute away from just like holding the gun sideways to see if that worked better. Um, yeah. But Queen Maeve shows up and starts decking her, uh, yeah, Queen... beating the living shit over <laughs> by going, "Hey, Kraut," which was like interesting World War Two joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kimiko and Starlight then beat the shit out of Stormfront until she flies away to chase Ryan, only to be immediately stabbed in the eye by Becca. And I will say. Uh, we talked about this, there have been tons of jokes at um, DC's expense. This entire episode is at Marvel's expense because there was a bit of a mixed reaction to the uh, the girls' hero scene in Avengers Endgame where all the female members of the Avengers team up to make one big push and one big charge to end Thanos. And yeah. it was it was, I thought it was okay. It got a bad reception from uh, people who were saying that they're trying to uh, libtard the the comic books, and I I just said I, I thought it was I thought it was okay, but I just thought it I was a bit cheesy. The time to have them all land and say, yeah. she won't be doing it alone. She has us, yeah. and then doing the kind of pose, yeah. then go off to fight. Like, could you not just have that? Like, if you flying have... through, then just intercepting characters fighting. Yeah. Like, if you had three of them land and say, "Don't worry, they've got us," and then you chain together all the female Avengers. And that happens kind of semi-naturally. You'd be fine. No one would have even noticed it. Um, but the fact that they stopped to get all 20 characters that are female from the Avengers to land and do a little pose and then go off to fight. that I think that's what pissed people off because it was a bit too on the nose. This episode just shows women getting it done. And there's a line that yeah. comes way back from like episode two of the season where um, Vought want to make a push for female heroes because female empowerment is in right now so it's that very kind of cynical marketing thing and it's an obvious dig uh this type of move by marvel and dc to say like oh the girls get it done and make it like a a kitschy catchphrase you know whereas if you actually want to show empowered women you show them being just as brutal and effective as the guys and i think that this is like a very obvious dig at stuff like marvel and dc when they try to make female empowerment characters by just making 
nice women who are very powerful rather than just women who actually go in and you know throw the punches to get the big the actual job done yeah. none of this posing for the camera should just go in and start beating the hell out of her although i did i did kind of notice that they don't have all of her all three of them beating her up at once they kind of wait for their turn then get her on the ground and just bully suckle her <laughs> I, I thought it was kind of fun like there was good pacing with the punches and the I'm editing saying, I, I like that aspect because yeah. they kind of take their turns then realize like fuck it what are we doing let's just beat the shit out of her I, I thought it was a practical aspect to filming it and there was more to do with like you can have her basically being battered back and forth between different heroes so you get like uh, Kimiko punching her to Maeve Maeve punching her to uh, Starlight and then just having them bounce off different characters so that it shows she has nowhere to go. She literally can't run. And then when they drop her, they all just start stomping on her and kicking her in the yeah. ribs. And I was like, I guess that's just a practical aspect of making it happen, but it was really fucking funny. And then for her to land, and like she flees the superheroes, um, but then immediately when she lands, she gets stabbed in the eye by Becca. <laughs> I was yeah. like, damn, this bitch can't get a break. <laughs> She's absolutely wrecked by the end of it. And it was... Like Becca's uh, knife comes out of nowhere, and it's so good. <laughs> it's the the rage in uh, in Stormfront when she's like motherfucker, <laughs> and she's like screaming and swearing in front of a kid where she's previously been uh, very reserved and trying to be very yeah, very motherly. Very, she, yeah, uh, she's she's not. It's not quite motherly. It's more like the the stepmother coming in, or like the 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 the, the father's boyfriend. Um, the father's boyfriend, the father's uh, girlfriend, introducing to the son for the first time, but then the rage snaps, and then she's like having a bad day already, and then somebody stabs her in the eye, and she just decides to yeah. go all out. Yeah, at that point she quite literally says, "No, no, no, don't, don't close your eyes. I want to see the light go out." <laughs> well, yeah. Um, in response to being uh, stabbed in the eye, she starts choking out uh, Becca up against a tree, and telling her, "No, I want to look at you as you die, because that's that's what I really enjoy of all this." Um. We see uh, Butcher trying to beat her off with a crowbar and it having no effect whatsoever. I mean, she's been shot 50 times that day and none of it's hurt her. Um, so a crowbar doesn't do much either. Until Ryan steps up to the plate. Now, we've hinted that Ryan has the superhero powers. He actually has uh, his father's uh, laser eyes. He threatened to use it on Homelander once for touching Becca. And then yeah. all of a sudden, he unleashes all hell. And then he unleashes all hell on both uh, Stormfront and, by accident, his mother. So we... We've only ever seen him use his powers once before, and that was to shove Homelander. So you kind of think, well, maybe he's not got much about him. Then you see this. Yeah. And this is him just blasting with uh, full power and no training, which is why uh, Stormfront is left without any limbs. Um, She has, like, a stump for one arm, and, like, the other arm that was blocked by her body is kind of there, but missing a few fingers. Uh, she's also partially cooked. I thought that, like, the way she looked, it was maybe a bit of a reference to uh, Star Wars when Anakin gets melted. It did look like that, yeah. Um, especially with half the face being that. missing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, he has also killed his mother but, because she has a massive gaping wound in her throat, but she loses her uh, last breath begging Butcher to take care of Ryan because she believes that he's a good kid. Which, I mean, kind of... <laughs> Uh, he could be. He might he be, but this won't age well um, in his mind. I can guarantee that. Um, so we see. Uh, we cut to a scene where uh, Butcher is standing there looking at Ryan, and I'm like, "There's a 50-50 chance he's going to use that crowbar on that kid." Uh, and Homelander shows up with one of the few shots that actually show superheroes flying in the show. I don't know if you noticed it, but most of the time you can clearly see like an edit. 
Um, like we talked about earlier, where uh, Homelander accidentally knocks his son off the roof, the like him coming back to the ground. I swear, they had the camera under a table, <laughs> and Homelander was sitting on the table, and he just steps down onto the ground. That is how I interpret that shot went down. <laughs> when you look at it, you go, he was clearly sitting on a table waiting for the shot to start rolling, and then he can step off and look like he flew off the roof himself. But um, they, they show him landing, um, caked in blood, because he's obviously been dealing with that team back in the lodge. And uh, with his best calm but angry dad voice, uh, he tells Ryan to come see him and explain himself, you know, <laughs> did you do this to Becca? Um, but Ryan actually goes to Butcher instead. Um, just before Homelander sticks uh, a fist through Butcher's chest, Queen Maeve shows up and explains that she has footage of the airplane incident and she will unleash it on the world in an attempt to ruin Homelander's uh, public persona. Homelander says, if you do that, I will destroy everything and everyone you love. And uh, she says, fine that'll be worth it, as long as no one loves you again. In one of the coldest lines in the show. Yeah. You Dan get the right sense it's just done with this shit. She's like, you know what, I don't give a fuck. I will burn everybody at the ground as long as I get this guy. Yeah. Uh, and that is pretty much the end of season two, with uh, Ryan going to CIA custody after being given the greatest piece of life advice by Butcher. Don't be a cunt. Um, A-Train and Starlight be restored are restored to the seven. Uh, and the boys are given a clean slate by the US government after the work exposing Stormfront as a Nazi and halting the sale of Compound V. And they're given their own uh, task force. In response to this, the FBI is setting up a, an anti-soup task force. I don't think... You I, guys are in it if you want it. I think they offer that to Butcher, but I don't know if he accepts. It's one of those things of, like, yeah. he's going to take a week off and then he'll get back to you about it. I, I think I think they probably will because in the comics I, I'll, I'll start talking about the differences properly in the comics but in the comics they already are in this task force right there was this, there's the shit with Homelander there but there's they already work for the government mm-hmm. and as a kind of you know independent contractor type thing so they can deny anything yeah uh, but Butcher and uh, Butcher Frenchie Mothersmock are already in the boys right from the beginning so I think I think the, uh, season three they will actually the bring them into the canon. Okay. With the government backing. <laughs> so, uh, the one thing I wanted to talk about for... I mean, I consider that to be the the, the, the episode, uh, both for Season 1 and Season 2. They have a good way of ending threads from Season 1 and Season 2, but then setting up Season 3, because the show is now being confirmed for third season. I think it was actually confirmed yeah. before it started broadcasting, which is a damn good yeah, sign. Before season, before season 2, Episode 1 dropped, Season 3 was uh, greenlit. Yeah, which i got to say... Yeah, I'd agree. <laughs> Not exactly taking a yeah. risk for that one. This is a great fucking show. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, the way Amazon Prime shows go, I think it'll probably get to season four, and that'll be it. They'll probably go the same way as uh, Preacher. Mm. They'll only get four seasons, which it's a shame, but at the same time, you don't want it to drag out. You don't want it to be supernatural, where it's got 15, no, sorry, 17 seasons, mm. and there's maybe seven good ones. So one of the things we need to wrap up about season two was actually the head-popping assassin. And we yeah. get the reveal of who that actually is. And I do kind of classify it as both an end to season two's mystery, but the start of season three's mystery. Because um, we went back and forth speaking about this. I was convinced that it was Stormfront. My you know, money... You know, dist- you go. Distorting the electrical fields in people's brains to make their heads explode or something. My money was on the guy who's the head of the um, the church, the collective, um, Adana. 
And I was convinced of that because of a line of dialogue. I think he says that he's had a phone call with uh, someone at Vought and then don't worry, it'll be taken care of. And then the next scene is the Senate hearing with all the head popping, during which um, the uh, obviously one of the superheroes dies because he's trying to get A-Train back on. So he, I think he deliberately had um, Shockwave killed. Still technically could have happened yeah. uh, because we revealed that um, the... Uh, the head popper is actually Congresswoman Newman, who was at the hearing. She was the head of the uh, committee that was hosting the vote hearing. So he's obviously had a phone call with her because they're close. Because uh, season two ends with them having a phone call. Uh, Adana explains that um, A Train will be going back into the the seven, uh, but the deep will not be, uh, as uh, Edgar put it, or as Mister Edgar put it. Uh, bringing back one stray is a sign of strength. Bringing back two is a sign of weakness and desperation. So I think uh, it gets revealed yeah. that Newman is the actual head-popping assassin. Yeah, which I didn't really see coming. I was convinced it was going to be someone that we already seen. And you've seen her at other points just being... What she, she's, she works for the CIA or something. She works for Mallory or with Mallory. She is... Well, she's part of the, the Congress uh, for the United States. Yeah. So she's a congresswoman. But she obviously will have ties to intelligence agencies through Congre- uh, Congress. But you never expect someone like that to be an in-the-field agent. I expect the congressperson's time is too busy to uh, include some assassinations. Um, but this will make season three interesting because Huey just signed up to join her superhero monitoring agency as part of Congress. Because she's part of now like kind of superhero oversight. And uh, Huey just joined her team. She's, which is just a, a good move on the, the part of Edgar getting someone who's on this <laughs> task force on his payroll. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final scene I want to talk about was Homelander holding the press conference with Edgar, in which they explained that our storefront, Stormfront's past um, and how they were totally blindsided by all of it and couldn't possibly have known, despite the fact that everyone has known. Um, and they make a bit of a, a statement saying they're going to hold off on releasing Compound V and focus on reforming the Seven to be better than before. Uh, Homelander starts to uh, like take the stage and make an inspiring speech that we actually don't really get to hear. Um, it's all about like the teamwork and the, the, the work that the seven have done together and how they're going to be great and glorious and lead America forward uh, by uh, by example. And it just starts to fade out and be replaced with this high-pitched tone as the camera shifts into Homelander's eyes, gradually just tightening up the tension. And you can see that there is nothing there. Homelander has become a fucking shark. He was already a psychopath yeah. before. He is now going to murder everyone in season three. Yeah, he is. He, the safety pin has been taken off. He has no fucks left to give. I think uh, Stormfront in season th- uh, Stormfront Homelander is going to be a completely different beast in season three. Yeah, I think uh, we, we never spoke about it, but there's a point where Homelander is giving a press conference, and the crowd's turning against him, and he has a kind of blackout moment where he just lasers the entire audience, mm-hmm. cutting them down. There's like eighty, there's a hundred, a couple hundred people in this audience, and he just lasers all of them. Yeah. I think that might actually happen in season three. Yeah, and that was, uh, I actually mentioned it earlier on when I said that there was a, an, an episode trailer that was cut and it gave me the biggest cock tease of ever of all time and blue-balled me and it was actually the trailer for that episode where he gives the, the press conference and it's after he murders the guy in Africa and he goes out there to say, look guys, it's not that big of a deal, I put in America first and I don't want don't to ruffle any feathers but really it doesn't matter. I was out there doing uh, service uh, for military men and women fighting overseas, and a military veteran in the crowd goes, you don't fucking speak for us. At that point, Homelander does have the little blackout and lasers the crowd, 
and it's awesome. But they put that part in the trailer without showing anything else. So I thought he actually done that. I was really looking forward to it. I was like, oh my God, how the fuck are they going to pull that one off? Because I wanted to see the VOT system try and turn and try and spin the PR uh, for like the murder of like 50 to 60 people into something positive for Homelander. Yeah. It would have been quite cool to see uh, VOT finagle their way out of that situation. <laughs> you see, those were actually Russian uh, protesters. They were all super terrorists. What are you talking about? You're, you're drunk. You're welcome, America. <laughs> <laughs> but that is uh, that's the end of the plot point for season three or uh, season two. I keep saying season three. Yeah. God damn it! <laughs> All we know about season three is that it'll probably involve. Uh, what do you say the woman's name is that's popping people's heads? And Congresswoman Newman. Yeah, Congresswoman Newman. She's probably going to play a big part in it. Uh, we do know that uh, Soldier Boy, the original superhero, played by Jensen, Jensen Ackles. Ackles, is going to be in there, and apparently he's going to be the prototype. Uh, Homelander, but they're not going to, they're probably going to ape Captain America a bit more and not have him being flashbacks. That they need some PR, so they're going to bring back the original superhero to try and sort this shit out. Yeah. And uh, actually, That's, we say that there's been a couple of rumors that I've heard, but either way, it'll be cool. The, the artwork they showed of uh, uh, Soldier Boy was very reminiscent of Captain America. I think he actually has a shield that is designed to look like uh, kind of like the Judge Dread badge, where it's like the eagle yeah. and the wings. Um, th- that's his shield, but also I think I saw piss running down his leg. Yeah, I was going to say the pictures that I've seen, it's him pissing himself. I'm like, interesting choice there. Um, <laughs> if you're gonna have a flaw for a superhero, I might as well make him piss himself. And also, I think I would actually love to see uh, Jensen Ackles act like he's pissing himself while being a superhero at the same time. I think he could pull it off like no one else can. <laughs> the man is Casper Van Dien, but with more acting experience. Yeah, I will say he'll be able to pull it off, especially when he's been working. He's working with Eric Kripke, who he's worked for for so many years. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they get the other guy in there, uh, Jared. Uh, Jared Padalecki. Yeah, be funny to see if he gets in there as some as some character. I, I think they should at least worm it in as a joke because they actually have uh, Bo- who's his name? I think it's Bob Siegel. Um, he shows up. Yeah, he's uh, Bobby. He's congressman. Yeah, he's in there somewhere. Yeah, I, and I do love, there's one of his lines um, where he's talking, he's part of uh, the task force, or he's part of like trying to get Vought to just come to the table and negotiate with the FBI for the secrets around Compound V, and he's uh, he's talking to people in there, and they're saying, we'll have your job, you'll be fired as a congressperson, he said, oh no, I'll have to give up this shit job and go get a cushy uh, daytime slot with Fox. What are you going to do about it? Fuck it, like, you're, oh yeah, we've got, we've got nudes of you, he goes, go ahead, leak it. I actually quite like the way my ass looks. <laughs> my damn son. <laughs> Doesn't give a shit. But it's that it's a perfect character. And if, I think if they do want to make a joke out of getting all the supernatural cast in there, I would be all for it. I think there's like plenty of like spare superheroes and like bit parts that they could have people show up in. And uh, I actually I do hope that they bring uh, Jen Snackles in for more than just a bit part. I hope he gets more than one season. I think he'll be in there for a little bit. A wee while. It just depends how well his uh, character is liked by people because that, that's always the calling card of people coming back into the the show is if the fans like them, they'll bring them back. Yeah. And I get the feeling, again, with the way this show handles every character, um, there's going to be the the usual, like the front face and then the reality. And I can't wait to see what Captain America's other side is. Yeah. So, um, anything else to miss for season two? Yeah, no, a pretty pretty thorough analysis there. Uh, like I said, it's probably good that they deviated from the comics slightly because they don't want 
uh, Homelander have to fight his weird Nazi dad. <laughs> I don't think even uh, Amazon have the balls to pull that one off. Um, uh, actually, we're talking about gender swapped characters. Uh, Congress uh, woman Newman was originally Congressman Newman. Um, and I think they actually deliberately swapped her for somebody who looks a bit more like the uh, somebody like AOC, um, one of the American congresswomen, or uh, what's her name? Uh, she's the vice president right now, Kamala Harris. Somebody who yeah. does look like that kind of modern democratic woman, just to like drive home, like just to kind of show the uh, how the politics has changed in the last couple of years. And I think they I know did. That's why they, they gender swapped Stormfront because they thought. What would Homelander's worst nightmare be? A strong woman who is going to shut him down and make him look bad. Yeah, a woman who might step on his balls. I think. Yeah. Actually, I think we should make. Uh, we should point out that they have, like, Homelander has weird sex in this show a lot. Um, there's a lot of breastfeeding in season one uh, <laughs> with with, uh, with his manager, and then we have season two's weird kind of BDSM angle. Um, now Stormfront does look like she is probably going to slap you with her dildo. All the way through the show. However, I will say, uh, they're slightly kind of superpowered, not violent sex scenes. It's not a violent sex scene, but like the one where they're like throwing each other into walls. But like because it's supposed to be like a passionate thing, but then because they're superheroes, they actually like put dents in the walls and like throw yeah. each other through buildings. <laughs> and then fucking in midair is amazingly funny. I don't know what it was. It was just something about the the angle. I think. <laughs> You're like, I, I guess, I guess that's how you fuck someone in midair. I, I don't entirely know. <laughs> I need to maybe get a trampoline and figure that one out. Logistically, no human being will ever have to figure out that problem. So, uh, But yeah, I, I like the fact that they show the all-American good guy just dev- devolving into like a real sexual deviant to the point where he's jerking off on top of a skyscraper as the credits roll on season three. <laughs> on season well, two, damn it. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> It was so whatever the fuck I want, and uh, I mean I know you don't like doppelganger, but there was at one point the implication. Fuck that guy. At one point, um, Homelander has been using doppelganger to become uh, Madeline, uh, so he can have sex with her, even though he killed her at the end of season one. So he spends a couple of nights with her in season two, and then he kind of loses interest. And doppelganger's answer is to transform himself into Homelander while still wearing the laundry and the earrings, which I find hilarious. And then there's that kind of will-they-won't-they moment of will the show actually have Homelander sucking himself off? And it was a weird scene, but I'm like, might do it. I don't know. <laughs> they, they might. I mean, this is post-Game of Thrones world. Maybe they can get away with it. Maybe they can't. Um, but I find that scene really funny. I don't know about you. Uh, I, I find it quite weird. I, I spent most of it going, oh, don't, please. I, I don't want to see that. <laughs> it's the watching through... I don't want to see him turn into the old guy again mid, midway through the act. <laughs> it's that watching through, like, the like the hands over the face and you just watch through the fingers going, no, please don't, please don't, please... Yeah. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah. He... <laughs> weird. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I mean, season one and two... Probably one of the best TV shows I've watched in a long while. Thank you very much for the recommendation. Um, yeah. I, I do blame this episode on you, but uh, yeah. without a doubt, I, I take the blame one hundred percent because it is it is a good TV show. It it scratches it scratches quite a lot of itches for a lot of people. And I, if you're if you're getting a bit burnt out on mo- and superhero movies like I was, I was getting quite uh, tired with the superhero formula. This kind of cured it a little bit because occasionally you kind of want to see because 
Marvel helped a little bit as well because Thanos winning was just kind of oh shit. Maybe the good guys don't mm-hmm. always win. Yeah. But then to see that the good guys are also fucking sociopaths and do have weird dark sides to them, you can realize that maybe in the Marvel side it needs to be this bright and shiny, but there's other real, more realistic takes on it out there. Yeah. So that's a hearty recommendation from both of us. Um, and I think that's where we'll just leave the discussion to the boys because there's going to be a lot more. I'd recommend maybe looking into the alternative content. I'd love to see some behind-the-scenes uh, stuff for this, and I'm sure Amazon will put it out somewhere. You can buy yeah. Blu-rays uh, Blu- of the boys. <laughs> I was fucking that one up so bad. But you can buy a Blu-ray of the boys, season yeah. one. So I'm assuming there is special content out there. Yeah, there's uh, there's tons of bloopers and stuff that you can see on uh, YouTube. There's plenty of shit out there that you can get. So, yeah, without a doubt, watch it. That'll be great. And, uh, buy the Blu-rays, buy the comics. The comics are way more fucked up than the movies uh, of the TV show. Because uh, in the TV show, obviously, uh, Butcher hates superheroes. In the comics, they just straight out give Butcher Compound V. He takes him, uh, Mother's Milk, Frenchie, and Huey all just take it. Because the only way to kill superheroes is to become one. I think that might be a season three plot point. Could be. I think maybe I might have to try and work it in there somewhere because it seems like that'd be a great, interesting way to level the playing field for the final showdown. I can see, uh, I can see Huey taking uh, <laughs> Compound V, but I can't see anybody else. I don't know. We've taken everything from these characters. I think once they uh, get down to the bottom of the barrel, they might find the need to inject themselves. Yep. But I think without going on for another four hours about key individual scenes, I think we should, we should just punctuate this whole episode by saying... Fantastic show. If you've got Amazon Prime, it's well worth a watch. If not, you can uh, you can pick up subscriptions, free subscriptions. It's well worth a watch. Would hundred percent recommend it. Yeah, it'll tide you over. If you watch it now, all the contents out. If you watch it over a couple of weeks, it'll tide you over until the Mandalorian season two comes out. So, another reason, another good reason to watch it. Yeah. So I think with that, uh, we'll wrap it up. If you did watch The Boys and want to get back to us, you can tweet us at jibberpish or email us at jibberpishpodcast at gmail.com. You can uh, also tweet at me at Mad and Dom Anderson has his handle, which he will recite for you now because I can never remember it. Once I figure out what it is because I don't use Twitter all that much anymore. Uh, Dom underscore Anderson 25. And uh, yeah, that'll be that. In the meantime, I've been Colin Graham. I've been Dom Anderson. And we've been talking jibberfish about The Boys.